If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to episode two of Remap's 2023 holiday show. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klapik. Hi. And Janet Garcia. Hello. I don't... So y'all are listening to this on oh. December 29th. Gotta, gotta put his hand up. I yep. forgot. We... Did we shout out to Mellow? I'm probably going to use that old Christmas yeah. track. Should we use that old Christmas track? Are we allowed Do, to? Have we paid yes. for? Have we paid two mellow for the old Christmas track? I don't. Well, someone did once upon a time. Advice? I'm sure we can. I'm sure we can repay two mellow. <laughs> yeah, we could yeah, probably just, yeah. repay two mellow. I'm sure two mellow will take our money. <laughs> it's a good Christmas tune, though. It's very sure. It's got a yeah. good beat yeah. to it. <laughs> I was thinking that's a good. That's a good. Point. I was thinking about this before when I was writing up the script. I was like, we should get a Christmassy tune. Yeah, uh, going. Uh, a, hol- a little, a little holiday jaunt. Uh, so when people are listening to this, it's December 29th. Fall goes according to plan. What are we doing right now? I can tell you what I'm doing. Mm. I'm starting to ner- get nervous about the end of the calendar year, and I'm frankly <laughs> trying to wrap up time-sensitive business mm. uh, on a Friday before the last weekend of the break. Uh, you know, it's the first year running a new business. Going to be like, are all these things that are supposed to be done by the the new year are they are are they done? Uh, that's going to be that's going to be me. I think just in a little bit of uh, <laughs> you know. What panic. else do you have? To, what else do you have to do? Like, is there? Like I don't any- know, Patrick. Oh, okay. I think you're <laughs> that's pretty, the I, main anxiety. Not sure, but there probably <laughs> you something. and I will have a separate side conversation. But I, I, there are filing requirements that come with like running a company, and I'm not sure like what I have to do or like if there's a, someone I can pay to automate that. Uh, I'm sure there are. I get emails from a company that's like, "We helped you set up a bunch of stuff. You want us to do all this other stuff? Oh, ADP, these other ADP? Yes, I paid ADP to do all of that. <laughs> uh, Corpnet is Corpnet. who's reaching out to me because uh, they did some annoying filing stuff in Massachusetts. But either way, it's like they keep sending you emails that like, are you aware that you have to do this to get right with the government? And I'm like, I didn't know that. But do I, think I have it, to do that or I, do you think I just should? So I got I got one this week that was, um, oh, I should just read it. Uh, it was essentially, oh, here it is. Um, hello, this is from ADP who like processes my payroll and does a bunch of, a lot of the annoying stuff that, that Rob is talking about. Hello, you received this email because of your state's sexual harassment requirements. All businesses are required to distribute sexual harassment trainings for both employees and employers. ADP has a streamlined way to assist you in getting this completed. Simply reply yes for more information. Looking forward to hearing from you. 
So I said yes, because I guess I need to distribute sexual harassment training to the to one you. employee of my company, me. Uh, but, but like <laughs> it is because it's an employee and it has, you know, it's a company that has an employee. You have to fulfill. I'm sure I have to like print something out and say I distributed it or something like that. But so you're you're not wrong that there are increasingly arcane requirements depending on the state you're in and what kind of company you've got. But. All right, so December 29th, Patrick. Uh, it's 29th. Uh, I could literally look and see if I am doing anything that day. My wife is meticulous maybe with the just, calendar. Maybe you're just gaming. Um, gaming. The 29th. Like out of the way, kids. No, my. So it's funny because, like, I have that time off and I could keep my kids home from. Like, my, my oldest is done with school on the 18th and then they're like, they can go to daycare. But, like, they do such fun stuff. Like, they go on uh, field trips at, like, the date. Like, we're going to the movie theater. It's like, you could go with me, but you'd rather probably just go with all of your best friends anyway. So there's there's a chance that I have my children. I think it's actually much more likely I'm doing what you said, Rob. Which So I don't play a ton of games over the holiday. I have a list of movies I need to get through. Like, movies are what I do right. over the I gotta holiday. I got to see Ferrari. Um, <laughs> so it's like, you know, what what, like... Can I go see the Iron Claw? Like that's that's like a movie I would want to go see. Um, that's about the um, it's the wrestling family. The um, yeah. the Von Eric 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 brothers. I don't. I've tried oh, okay. to not read very much about it because apparently it's very sad but very good. And so I'm trying not to get spoiled. But like that's probably what I will be doing. Is like I actually spend a lot of my holidays catching up on on films that have fallen through the cracks in the last two like the last year. So. The 29th, there's a decent chance that's that's what I'm doing. Janet? I'm doing nothing. Hell yeah. I have nothing on my calendar. Every company I've ever been associated with lines up to be off as well. So it's mm-hmm. like, great. Um, yeah, I got no plans. And I like it that way. I, You know, I, much like Patrick, I also don't really use the time to like, let's get around to what we're, I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to touch these games again. And that's okay. Like there's new games. Um, you can do the game of the year podcast and be like, oh, I should really get around to playing those games. And then what I'm really going to do is yeah. like, what, like load up a Plex server and get cooking. Definitely. Or like play something that's not really that relevant. Like we started playing. Um, oh my gosh. I'm blanking I on the name. Do and I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> that too for me it's the hol- it's the holiday season um i don't want to type it in because i don't want to have the clicks and the clocks but it's like rhythm machine it's like this mo- like multiplayer rhythm game like rhythm castle or something we just started playing it like yesterday and it's pretty fun so i feel like we'll do that even though we could easily just do mario wonder which is the better game but like i don't Great know game. so maybe maybe that um I'm also big into just like catching up on stuff like movies and things if I can. I haven't seen a bunch of movies, as y'all may have noticed, mm-hmm, with my mm-hmm. lack of Matrix <laughs> 1. So I might toss a couple things in the pile. Like I never watched like How to Train Your Dragon and other animated hits that my partner really likes. So I think that could be a good space for that. Um, and I, also, I don't know, maybe like doing some planning for the new year. Cracking open that Hobonichi for the first and final time, you know? <laughs> I forgot to order my... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. If you, you can still get it. The, what are you are you ordering direct? Uh jet pens. Jet pens. Gen, yeah, okay. they'll, they'll be fine. I'll probably be okay. Yeah, you'll yeah. be okay. I'm a VIP um, over there. Oh, you'll be fine. They like you. I'll be like, it's your boy. 
Exactly. I'm also working on, I don't know how far I'll be in this process, but I want to do that Marie Kondo my entire house. I've only done my clothes so far, so I have like a lot of steps left, but yeah, that's what I'll be doing. Bothering my cat, hanging out. Scott, are you still down? Like, you hunting Mickey through the Everglades with a crossbow at this point, or are you back in New York? (laughs) No, I'll be back in New York, probably rounding the rounding the corner on finishing Alan Wake for a second time because they added Mm. another ending to that game. Those motherfuckers. (laughs) Uh, So that's definitely what I plan to be doing is to 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 go back and and check out the. New game plus thing, getting some more overlaps. The yeah. final draft, I think, is the what it's final called. draft. That's what I'll be preparing on my game of the year list on the 29th too. I'll be like oh, on the 29th. Oh, that's and... actually probably what I'll be doing. I can get this done before the year is up. I know we're supposed to be on break, but my list sucked. But now it's good because I've played like four more games since we recorded this, and they're all good. Congratulations. Diablo 4. Who knew you were awesome? I, I found out. I <laughs> it was really it. fun. I like Diablo 4. Uh, all right. So let's get into it. We left off, I think, with number six, right? Yeah. We were on number six. Mm-hmm. Patrick. My uh, number six is. Well, I should get the whole title in front of me. I forget what the subtitle is. Uh, Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a spinoff. Uh, the Bayonetta series came out on uh, the Switch earlier this year. I've not played Bayonetta 3. I'm holding out hope that there will be a port or update to that game because it was a technical mess on the Switch. And I want that to be ironed out, if at all possible, before I, I play it. So I'm hoping that a Switch 2 or a Switch Pro or whatever it ends up called comes with a better version of that. But in the meantime, uh, Bayonetta Origins was, uh, you know... Lots of games come across your desk. This one did. I didn't really have that much interest in it at first. I love the Bayonetta games, but I'm not particularly invested in the characters. It's more of a style, uh, both in terms of the the series aesthetic and also how it plays. That's that's what I'm there for, for, for Bayonetta. And so, hey, do you want a, like a prequel? Eh, I, you know, not really. No, uh, I'm I'm good. But I gave it a shot anyway. It was one of those games like, I'm going to check it out for the podcast, see if there's anything there. And then found myself completely charmed. Uh, It's uh, a really wonderful, uh, cute story of uh, getting into how this fits into the timeline of Bayonetta is more complex than I have time to get in here (laughs) on this list. And it honestly doesn't make much sense, too, because it's not ultimately what kept me interested. I am always fascinated in the same way that I think I am attracted to music rhythm games that use uh, plastic device, like the interface for which you, you play the game is fundamentally different than what you're used to. And I always find that interesting. It's why I thought the Wii was interesting. That's why I think the Switch is interesting. That's why I think that the Kinect, as misguided as it was to make it a, a core value of the Xbox, was interesting because like I just love playing games differently than I've done done before. And so Bayonetta Origins, despite being on a traditional controller, uh, does a very brother's a tale of two I forget what sons? The, uh, sons. No. Uh you know, where you're assigning sound right? something like that. You're you're assigning characters to different analog sticks, right? And so in Brothers, you have like two brothers that are going around doing different things to solve puzzles. And in Bayonetta Origins, you have uh one you know, one uh, a Cereza, uh this little uh, this young witch on one analog stick, and a demon uh that you have uh, summoned from the the beyond on the other. And 
They have different abilities. You have, your brain is being stretched in completely different directions because you are moving them to different spots of the combat arenas or the puzzle sections. You are pressing other buttons in combination with one another, you know, uh, different uh, bars are uh, uh, growing and closing and they open different abilities. It just stretched my brain in a really satisfying uh, way. And so that plus of how de- uh, delightful uh, it looked. Oh, thank you for Janet for <laughs> confirming. Uh, it is a tale of two sons. Uh, it was just one of those. Well, I guess brothers are two sons. I don't know. For some reason when yeah. I read it, I'm yeah, like, oh, sound right. It's like, oh, I'm like, I'm 90% sure this is right. Uh, well, Joseph, I guess- Joseph Ferris well, right into the podcast. If we, exactly. if we got it wrong. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it was just a really, really good time. I had just an incredible amount of fun with it. Uh, it's really unique. I think it got really overlooked. I really don't know that many people that played it, uh, and 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 for that is itself kind of a kind of a tragedy. And even if you don't like the Bayonetta games, uh, if if sort of you know character action games are not your thing. Uh, that's okay. Uh, you don't need to know much about the world or the story or the characters to find this interesting and enjoyable. Uh, if anything, it's probably more for people that aren't into the Bayonetta games than it is for the people into the Bayonetta games. And so uh, I'd check out a gameplay video, take a look at it. If, it find, if you find it all compelling, don't let your lack of time with the Bayonetta series stop you from checking it out. Uh, it is it is well worth playing all on its own. And uh, like I said, has gone unfortunately under the radar, but that is my that is my number six, Janet. Um, also, Bayon- that Bayonetta game is me and Ben Hansen's. Like, let's both agree to beat this game before the end of the year. And I'm like, how's that going? He's like, this. I don't think I'm gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll it's, see. It's, I it's not short either. It's 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 a long game. Like, I'm a couple hours in. I'm like two to four hours in. But that's not. You got a lot more to go. Right. I know, I know, I know. That's the thing. That's the thing. You got but no really chance. The, Just drop it. No, I don't. I we kind of already like. I'm like, hey, you're not really doing this, are you? Because I'm not. I'm not finishing it. I don't. I don't want to like. We agreed, so I'm like, I was making sure you're also flaking. It's like when someone's like, hey, I can't make it. I'm like, thank God, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go today. Um, I love the watercolor uh, yeah. story tar- like fairy tale book look of that game as well, but. Um, my number six is Lies of P. Ooh. Okay. All right. <laughs> also on um, my uh, shit, I wanted to play more I this know. year. I feel hundred percent so bad. So yeah, bad. I feel so like I feel so. If it wasn't for Immortals, of a- it wasn't for Immortals Avium, I might be playing Lies of P over the holiday. But oh unfortunately, my gosh. that slot's taken, baby. <laughs> Watch that end up being Rob's number one by the time I get the end of Immortals of Avium. The sleeper hit, Immortals of Avium. How would we know if it was good? No one, none of us played it, you know? Um, Okay. Uh, Yeah, Lies of P. Um, I I would say I'm traditionally not a Souls sicko. Like, I've dabbled in a a lot of the Souls likes um, just because I try to play most stuff that comes out that's like, somewhat noteworthy just for like a little bit uh kind of on a week-to-week basis i'm trying to like hit up things so i've done you know wolong fine fallen dynasty other titles like that i did do demon souls like a year or two ago um and that's kind of been it um at one point i played like a few minutes of bloodborne because I was misguided and I didn't know what that game was. And I was like, what's this? And I'm like, I'm not going to play. I'm like, you know what? This wasn't for me. I had a bad PS4. Elden, Elden Ring didn't ex- didn't do it for you either? Like, no, that's been the, no. Okay. Because the, the thing is, like, and that's kind of why I like Lies of Pete. Because, like, Elden Ring people are like, no, it's great. Because if you're not strong enough, just go in another direction. And I'm like, yep. 
There's too many directions. I don't know who to talk to. I know there's like the glowing ember that tells me where to go, but it's not really mm-hmm. where to go. At one point, yeah. I'm talking to a guy that looks like Santa. The jump is bad in that game. I don't like I'm like, you know what? Ah, this is too much. And like I could look up a guide. But then at that point, like now we're just reading a guide. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like uh, maybe one day I did. Um, I've done the uninstall, reinstall, install dance with Elden Ring. So. We'll see. Maybe I'm sure like three years the from now. The DLC is like, coming out sometime next year. You'll have a fresh opportunity to not oh like it all over again. <laughs> I know. I I think in five years, I'm going to be like, did you guys know Elden Ring was really good? <laughs> <laughs> but we're not they there yet. Slap, you can just go wherever you want. Like, it's amazing. But I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> like, I don't, and that's like, Lies of P. It's like, forget all that. You know, it's there's been a lot of comparisons to what, um, gosh, I forgot which souls. Uh, it's, it's, it's most, it's, it is, it is a Bloodborne. Uh, yeah, like it is pulling from that specific uh, style of combat, and and frankly, in multiple cases, just li- like really lifting from the art direction. Which of, I'm like, should Bloodborne. I just play Bloodborne again? Anyway, but I don't uh, know. No, I see, the- but that, what else? You know, what else? You'll get into it. But like, I think in the like six or seven hours of Lies P that I played, it it carves out its own thing. It yeah. is not strictly just imitating for the sake of giving sickos like me. A Bloodborne too, because from software is not yeah. not making it. So, uh, so but I'm, I feel I'm like, curious how you found it. Yeah, it's it's for like sickos and non sickos alike. I guess it's like <laughs> this. It's funny liking Lies of P and not liking a lot of the other ones because this is like when I got really into Goobies and hadn't played Vampire Survivors and Goobies just is, is indie goo Vampire Survivors. Well, but, <laughs> okay, Vampire Survivors also indie, but you know what I mean, right? Okay, so it's always weird to like be into the thing that's the side thing. It's kind of like the Bayonetta example is actually a funny comparison point in that sense too but yeah lies me it's just it's awesome i love it um i think it's it's simple enough it's like very stripped down so it's like everything's you know really linear really straightforward it does the the classic metroidvania looping around thing of the except without powers it's like and now the door opens and oh look it's right where you started and now you can spawn to that point. And I love that. I live for that. It's what I liked in Demon Souls a lot when you finally can wrap around the corridors. Um, the aesthetics are super fun. And I like the, I think the thing I like the most about Lies of P is unlike every other Souls experience I've had, with like a very small exception of I did ask like one of my colleagues, oh, what should I like spec into with like my points? But other than that, I feel like it's a game that explains itself. And I know some people might argue that like there's aspects of Souls that does that or how they patched in the tutorial part of Elden Ring. But for the most part, I find that a lot of those games I cannot play without asking people, hey, can you translate the lore or not even the lore, but just like what does this terminology mean in practice and how should I utilize it? I think while I haven't beaten Lies of P um, and I'm going really slow because it's one of the good those games, um, it is easy to grind your way through things. It's easy to, you know, the stuff that you get, like it streamlines, streamlines a lot of the, um, you know, like the summoning aspect of like getting like the AI in to help you, but also like it slow rolls the tutorialization in a really nice way where I think this game could have easily thrown every aspect at you. For instance, one of the big ones being that you can kind of like, change out your metal arm to have like oh a fire like different elemental kind of abilities or there's that silly upgrade system called the p organ like that could have all been immediate but it wasn't (laughs) and i think the fact that they slow roll that makes it yeah oh i can understand what this game is about 
And that's while that's kind of the bare minimum, I feel like for most games, I think traditionally a lot of Souls games and Souls-like games have felt like, what if it was also hard to understand? And I like that Lies of P isn't like that. It's like, I do a little stab, I roll away. Some people will argue the the dodge is whatever or too hard, the parry, whatever. I struggle with that in every game. So I'm like, guess what? Is it good? Is it bad? It doesn't matter because I'm bad at it. So it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't affect me, you know? So <laughs> that's kind of neither here nor there. But um, yeah, I think there's also a lot of cheese opportunities that feel like mm. easy for me to parse out. Um, <laughs> there's this one um, optional, like, I wouldn't call them a boss, maybe like a mid boss, higher level enemy. That's like an optional enemy in front of like an elevator. And it's like the classic thing of, I don't know if you have the right item, you can do it differently. But I got like this ability where I could like grapple people towards me. And I figured out if you just grapple them towards you, then you can like walk around and like there's strikes from the back that like do heavy damage. Um, So I'm like, I can just do that over and over again. And for the most part, I feel like a lot of times in a souls game, I have to, may be told what that cheese strat thing is. Like, it's not something that I, I at least personally figure out myself. And here I'm like, I really feel like I can experiment with these tools. And also it's, the game is also a little bit dumb, which I really like where it's like, you can ma- build these chaotic giant, I don't know, it's half of an ax and half of like a sword handle and just kind of smash them together. Um, it's silly. It's fun. There's some cool costumes in there. I'm wearing a donkey head and roaming around. It's just a good time. <laughs> they just added Christmas cosmetics to the game. Uh, oh, which, my God. Yeah. Also, they keep patching it to make it a little easier. So thank God. Like, I've been scared with every update. I'm like, is this an update that's good for me or bad for me? And it's like, oh, well, they actually made this part easier. I'm like, great. Keep just just <laughs> patch the hell out of that's it. That's why you're really can... slow rolling it. So by the time yeah. you get to those parts, they're all good. <laughs> exactly. I'm so incentivized by going slowly in this game because every few days they're like, they buffed up this thing. I'm like, thank God. All right. We're going to make progress. But yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm it's so hard as hell to me, but it sounds like. When because when, when you were mentioned Liza P and just my my sense of that game. Aesthetically, it seems like such a, a vibes game that I really thought that would be kind of the focus of why you're picking it, that like the setting and just the atmosphere really connected with you. But it sounds like this is more of a Goldilocks, like this is the just right yeah. Souls-like experience for you. And that has been more decisive than just like, I really love this weird fucked up Pinocchio retelling yeah. that they're <laughs> doing. It's it's more like this is letting you access the like thing that people are getting hooked on with, with souls likes, but like not actually have to play a souls game. That's always like yes. pitched wrong for you. Yeah, I would say so. And I think it's nice because it still has so much of that DNA. So clearly there, but it's just different enough that like the things that traditionally don't click or have a hard time clicking for me haven't landed yet. Um, I do play this game in constant fear though, that I will hit my wall where yeah. I won't be able to break through. <laughs> Um, but I've been having just such a fun time with this game. This is like, I would say, I'm trying to like glance at my list and think about it. It might be the most satisfaction I've had in gaming this year. Just kind of just me, myself, and my little Timothy Chalamet man. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just (laughs) lock the door and just go go to, yeah, okay. Um, no, but it's, it's been so much fun. I, this is a game where I will just put on spotify and just like you know have the game audio turned slightly down but enough to hear some of like the telegraphing and i'll just hang out like i i put on that dad rock spotify playlist 
and I was just there fighting fighting people and <laughs> hanging out in the world. And yeah, I will say the aesthetics are are really fun too. Like I do enjoy the um, you know, I was a big fan of that uh what's the name of the lady in Demon Souls? She's like got a feather eyes and no shoes. Like we have that, but she's nicer looking. That's cool. <laughs> There's a piano you can play. <laughs> There's like there is a little bit of fun on that too, but I would say, yeah, for me, it really is just like the way the gameplay melds. And also the checkpointing is very generous as well. And that kind of, a lot of those things kind of help make it a little easier. And I love to hear like that there are like cheese strategies available that you can walk into. Cause I actually really do like that. If I can opt into, okay, one, like sometimes I just want to make progress and like, am I going to exploit behavior of a boss and like a weird little soft spot and its ability to navigate and target parts of this like level we're fighting in? Yeah, I'm going to do that because I want to go on to the next thing. Like <laughs> I am not like I can see how I'm supposed to beat this boss. I'm just not executing it. I don't want to do it anymore. I just want to move on. And I actually really like games that sort of reserve that a little bit where it's like. Okay, you can see what you're supposed to do here, right? You're just going to stand over here and plink away. Okay, fine. And like, just let me do that. Because <laughs> then if I do love the game that much, like I will eventually want to come back and be like, I've not played through a bunch more of this game. My skills are are way higher. Uh, now I do want to do this the right way. Now I do want to like meet the encounter on its terms and like play through. I do this a lot in like shooters I really like where uh, there are times where it'll telegraph like a, a battle is going to happen or something. And you'll like hang back and let it unfold and then navigate. But there's a lot of times where if I'm really into a game, I will be like, clearly they want me to go headlong into this thing and begin the encounter from here, the deep shit position. And it's way less <laughs> compelling if you're out in the safe position where you can sort of like, you know, get your bearings and weigh it in. And like, yeah, I'd like games to sort of preserve both of those approaches and don't necessarily handcuff me to one yeah that game that game sounds awesome it looks it's it's also on my list of like i should dig into this this feels like a good bridge game between my flirtation with the with the souls games through demon souls remake and uh elden ring and uh you know the the bloodborne experience that i know is out there uh, <laughs> it's got a, it's got a big expansion coming, so I, that's where I've, I like put the game on my back burner. Where it's like, okay, I really enjoyed the hours I played with it. It didn't fit into my schedule right now, but then hopefully when that expansion starts looping around, that'll be my my window to actually see it through. And mm -hmm. like you said, Janet, all those quality of life improvements come come along yeah. the way. I mean, that's <laughs> for a lot of games these days. There are a lot of good games this year, but also like playing games at launch not as essential as it used to be. <laughs> like in yeah. many cases, you're better off waiting months afterwards. Assuming they don't just lay everyone off and prevent those quality of life improvements from forever materializing. I feel like that that's game the, is, that game has been a huge hit. Like that's transformative. Great to yeah. To, yeah. Like it's, yeah, that game has been a huge hit. So that is, they're already hiring for a sequel. So that, that part uh, is thankfully not, not on the agenda for that one. Gato. Uh, mine, six. we're six, right? Um, yeah. Anyone else got Time Bandits? Part one, appendages of the machine on their list. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you talking about this game. Yeah. But no, I do not. I don't think anyone has this on their list. I'm so excited to hear about this. Um, so yeah, Did Time Bandits. This? There is no finishing this game. 
Okay. I mean, there probably is. I don't know, though. I I'm still <laughs> playing it, though, is the thing. I'm going to uh -huh, just start uh -huh. saying I'm that now. I'm still playing it. Well, <laughs> it'll make more sense when Kato explains the premise. Yeah. Yeah. So, Time Bandits is um, part uh, Sokoban, which is a, you know, box pushing games it originated as, you know, a little, your little warehouse uh, 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 owner that has to, like, push boxes into certain uh, zones, like one of the like, earliest puzzle genres that existed but what if every push took 30 minutes like you set up the push and then you had to go do other things in the world because part of the thing that this game wants to uh not wants to do is really um make make the player focus on time real time time and labor um it is a deeply leftist game like immediately going into like uh uh, s small expositional like theory theory lessons at the beginning of the game, which is very fun, but like um, it uh blends that with um a sort of Metal Gear isometric uh stealth uh uh, uh mechanics as well, but because everything is in real time, it like really like I I will. I will boot this game up, play 15 minutes and leave, set a timer for 30 minutes and I'll come back. But it's like, I'll check back in. Sometimes I'll, I'll leave it for a couple of days, but come back and then just like check back in for like 10 seconds. And I feel like still really engaged by the stuff that's happening, even though I'm like barely touching it. And it's like, because I'm like, obviously not just going to sit there and wait 30, 30 minutes. Like it's just, you know, they've, they've done the thing where that they wanted to, it's just like make you really aware of how time passes and the ways that structures in our world, uh, kind of set up, uh, to like drain time from workers and give time in a sense to, uh, the cat, the, you know, capitalist rulers. Uh, so, um, it's just a really neat little game that I think, uh, it's really easy to ch to check too. Like, uh, I feel like there's a there's a, a way to like engage with this game where you might feel like, oh, I gotta make it the most efficient use of time. So like, right, right? like the the like the like well, the way I started playing this the fir the first couple of uh, days I like checked in, I would set a timer, come back in, and then immediately want to do the next thing. Um, but the game starts putting up walls where it's like, you can't move on. You have to wait for the next day. Uh, it, at a certain point in the day, in, in the game, it uh, sets up a uh, shift clock where it's like, this is when you're on shift, which means you're allowed to go in the warehouse. And this is when you're off shift, which means going into the warehouse now means all the like, there's a bunch of security bots and this is where the stealth section comes in. And these, those are set up. Uh, randomly, but to me, it definitely felt like it was purposefully avoiding the times I logged in to check on the game. It was like you're always off shift when you're when you're logging on, <laughs> um, in order to like obviously make me engage with the stealth part. I I, I don't know if that was purposeful or if it just got complete like kept getting like bad rolls on this on the shift uh, hours. But um, it's a really neat game that I think uh, like sets up its goal from the jump and like is very like um you know is extremely focused on making you aware of time in this way and i think it does that really well also it's got 
really fun, like PS one, like low poly aesthetics that are (laughs) really great. And like, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, tiny game. It has 41 reviews on Steam. <laughs> the tiny ass game. <laughs> but they're uh, so positive. Check it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> them now. Um, but Neat. yeah. Uh so my number six is Pale Beyond. That was the uh doomed Arctic exploration visual oh, novel yeah. resource management game from earlier this year. And you know, it's it's flavors I love. Uh, it's <laughs> life aboard a, a, you know, Victorian tall ship. It's a doomed Arctic expedition <laughs> uh, with supernatural elements and, you know, crews pushed to the brink. And I think it is uh, it's got a great atmosphere. And, you know, the immediate comparison is honestly a show like The Terror. Right. Yeah. Uh, and season one. Yes. Season two is a different story completely uh it's they, at that point they try to morph it into an anthology type thing but season season one is based on a novel with a you know you know you know uh a cohesive thought and uh piece behind it uh the pale beyond is a lot like that uh it is a you know you are you sign on as the executive officer of this arctic expedition with mysterious funding sources behind it that is trying to basically recover uh the not the remains but like recover the information from like a previously disappeared arctic expedition and from the jump the entire thing like the tutorials they're teaching you how to manage the systems but from the jump it kind of feels like your captain uh you know is this like legendary sailor but also has this like complete feeling of impending disaster and fatalism about the entire thing. You are with a washed up legendary Arctic explorer, uh, who's like a celebrity in his own time. But there's kind of the question of like, is this guy just a fraud? Does he think he's a fraud? Uh, there's, you know, stuff like that. You've got, uh, the hardened, um, like Arctic explorer. She's the, you know, keeper of the, the sled dogs and might be like the most serious survivor, uh, out there knows the most about it and at every turn especially you know as the, as is the nature of these things your margin for error dwindles across the campaign and so these narrative decisions you're making because it is a resource allocation who goes out to what point of interest on the map who you know do you spend more fuel on heating people or do you invest that in like you know uh you know cooking for people and more nutritious food to keep more people healthy and no matter what you do, it's balanced so that I think like a lot of these games, kind of the trick they're playing is it's always going to feel like you're doomed in some ways, but also you're there's a little more margin than you think. But there are places where this game is just not playing around. There are places where it's just like, no, we were dead serious when people said you needed to leave this place. You needed to leave this place. It wasn't safe. Like multiple characters saying, I have a feeling of doom here. That was that was your cue. It's time to leave. <laughs> Uh, but the art is gorgeous. The characters is, are are memorable and just, yeah, the, the atmosphere and like sense of like growing dread, but also the growing dread of like, what the hell are we into here? But also that sense of as you go deeper into the game and you just have the sense of like, 
we are further and further away from early in the game. You still have lots of like material support you brought with us. You know, you have supplies. You're not that far out into like the Arctic wilderness. As you get deeper in the game, because everything gets more hostile, just getting resources now becomes more costly. And so there is this sense of like, I don't know how I'm going to do the next thing. I don't know how I'm going to survive this much longer because it's getting, it's getting bad. And the atmosphere in camp is starting to uh, get absolutely like toxic. It's, it's an awesome game. Uh, it is like, I like low key. I think I've started to realize that this sort of like strategic visual novel thing, the resource management visual novel is low key. Mm. One of maybe my like go-to genres, because I think there are a lot of things that do not lend themselves to good systemization. You know what I mean? Like it's, you could create, a well let's say like go the obvious comparison like a frost punk right like you could do this like as more of a frost punk style game but i think one of the reasons the frost punk is so successful is that actually it's pretty rote you know it's a lot of smoke and mirrors to be like this is a city manager not really it's you know you're gonna make a lot of like narrative decision there's and there's forks in the road but the city management stuff is mostly like a theming that they are doing that requires less of the you than you think but this whole thing of like maintain the cohesion and morale of a group of explorers under dire circumstances and like juggling the, you know, do you send people to, you know, hunt over here? Do you have them explore this like weird point of interest that nobody, nobody knows what's there. These things don't lend themselves to like systems in the paradox game model or the Civ game model where it's like, no, we need, you know, these resources that you gather and this type of worker collects it. And this sort they lend themselves really well to sort of these macro level decisions of like, I'm going to send this worker here and this worker has a personality and based on like how we're doing, they're going to, you know, interact in a certain way. And that's going to create narrative events down the road that are independent of the resource management uh, thing that I'm doing. This genre is like really good at getting some of this stuff done, right? Like it's, it's good at creating what feel like almost Sims of an experience where if it were just sort of a, you know, isometric management game where your workers are running around and doing things, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have the feel. It would have no vibe. It would have no sense. Well, you, of you, like, you're getting a lot of the, um, like if you were to, if I didn't, you could take your, what you, how you just described the pale beyond, remove a lot of references to how the game is actually structured. And you could be talking about a survival horror game, yeah. right? Like mm. there's a whole lot of what you're describing and how it creates tension, how it uses tricks in resource allocation to generate tension, to make you feel like, I just don't, I, I, there's no, how am I going to get through this? Like I'm barely scraping through. And it turns out you just keep barely scraping yeah. through and, and you still can do them yourself. You can still make, but like, it seems a lot of what you're getting out of this is very similar to a lot of things that I get out of, you know, Resident Evil style games and, and games that like play in that similar space. Here it's just dropped into more of a visual novel format, but they're using a lot of the same systemic structure to create tension. I agree. I would also add to this. It is balanced so that like, when you fail, that doesn't necessarily feel like a complete, like you can wind it back variable amounts to like redo sections. But in general, I do not come away from failure feeling like, okay, I just need to figure out what the magic steps are that it needs me to do. It does feel like, okay, when do I think things began to go wrong? And usually it's not like you went left when you should have gone right as a decision. <laughs> it's like, no, I actually feel like I started to like deplete this resource too early and now i need to like clearly that's going to be important so let's go back a few days and like re reconsider what we were doing or i pissed this character off and when they turned on me that kind of set the death spiral in motion and 
like it succeeds well at making failure and repetition interesting, even before you're doing the like, I want to beat this again, but like be the best Arctic sea captain, uh, you know, ever. It, it does it well within that that run just to get through the campaign. So highly recommended. I think we're talking about like cozy, you know, holiday break games, winter games. Man, like this is a, you know, pull the curtains over the windows, uh, <laughs> you know, turn up the turn up the sound. And just get like haunted. Jeez. Nice. No, that sounds really cool. Um, it, but I, how dark does this thing get? Because I'm looking at the reviews and the, the top review for most helpful right now is banger game. I died a horrible, miserable, painful death. And then another one recently posted just says one day we will all be free. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, no. Most failed Arctic expeditions don't have happy endings. And I think the game is in keeping with that where it's like uh, survival rates are low for when these things go sideways. So, yeah, it's it's pretty dark and the darkness doesn't. It's not like you just like, oh, well, you lost. It's a accretional process of like, Mm. oh, uh, two people fled camp and froze out in the wastes overnight. Oh, dear. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty dark. I'm not going to like, okay, maybe in that score, it's not a great holiday game because it's bleak as hell, but wintry, <laughs> wintry, spooky. yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> this is just dredge on ice. I'm down. Let's go. Hell yeah. Dredge. One of my games. I gotta play. I if wanna, I had played I more, I think it would have been on my, that's one of my big regrets that's a, on my version of Kato's list. That's on there, <laughs> I'm like, if I had played, it would be up there. Uh, I wish I liked that game more in the end. It was, it was. That's why that's, that's why I didn't want to put it on there yeah. because I'm like, I don't know if it's good. Like, you know what I Did mean? Like, I it? love fishing. I played fair a far way into it and it was a little too repetitive <laughs> by like the halfway point that I was like, there's not enough mm, yeah, spice here. Like I can see it's just not for me. I can see yeah. someone really just en- continuing to enjoy that loop over yeah. and over again, but it wasn't clicking. <laughs> All right, Patrick, number five. Number five, Dead Space 2023. Ah, I have it higher. Okay. All right. Moving on. Janet to Janet. Number five. But I'll bring you back for Spider-Man 2. All right. All right. All right. A normie game for normies. Let's go. Um, (laughs) It's number seven on mine. PlayStation did it again. Okay. But (laughs) um, no, I mean, I love this game. I think, again, you know, it's funny. A lot of my stuff is not a lot, but. This in Pikmin and maybe actually a couple things are in franchises at this point. Um, you know, I I liked it more than I thought I would, and I thought I would like it. You know what I mean? Like I played the first one, I'm like or the last two, and I'm like, yeah, these are great. I'm guessing this one will be more the same. And the short answer is it was, but the longer answer is I do think they streamlined a couple gameplay aspects that made it more enjoyable to me. Um, like I think putting all the abilities on just sort of the face buttons. And yeah, you are just kind of staring at buttons and like waiting for cooldowns to go down. But I was also doing that in Miles, except it was weirdly harder for a game that's not really about the challenge to begin with. Um, They Mm -hmm. are kind of beat-em-up-y style, like even more casual than like modern God of War. Like they're very like, you know, you're kind of doing it and that's it. You're supposed to look cool. That's the shtick of the gameplay. Um, The wingsuit, also very cool. You know, when they introduced that, I think a lot of us were like, why would I ever want to just not swing around? And obviously that's still an option, but being able to both? sort of that's yes. that's like what do you end up doing? It's like it's not it's a, it's not a substitute. It's 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 additive once you 
get past the novelty of it. Yes. And I love that they added the little wind tunnels conveniently throughout the city to like lean into it. Again, this is a video game as video game in many ways. And I think it excels at being that. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of really cool highs that I wasn't expecting um, in this game. I don't even though the game came out like our a while ago, like in October, I don't want to go too into spoilers in a sense, but there were some really awesome set pieces that I thought were super fun. Uh, we've talked earlier about how heartfelt many of these side quests are and, and the enjoyableness of, for me, being Miles, just because Miles was more like in the city, you know, he was like the neighborhood Spider-Man and Peter's <sighs> so like, that's part, that's what if we got into corporate it, science, you know? I wanted this game to be higher on my list. You know, I wrote, an, I wrote a piece for Remap not that long ago about how Spider-Man games are the only games I 100%, and it was true mm-hmm. of this one as well. I didn't platinum it, but I did yeah. the in-game 100%. And there's a whole separate article be written about a game that says, no, you did it. You did everything. But then like a, like a trophy system that says, no, you didn't, which is just sort of bizarre. But all that aside, I think this game like kind of fails Miles as a character um, up until the very end. Like, I don't, again, I don't want to get into spoilers, but like where this story leaves the characters of Peter and Miles, I find far more interesting than just about anything that happens over the course of the actual <laughs> story. You know, I it's a game... I like almost an isolation than in what it actually kind of adds up to. I think it's actually kind of a messy game in totality. I'm I'm with you that I I like that they added narrative elements to all the side quests. But when I sat back at the end, I was like, yeah, but like the side quests are still like pretty boring to to do. Um, it's like I'm just fighting Sandman's like recreations of himself 12 times i'm finding yeah but you, you can know, open a water pipe and then you can melt them so yeah yeah like all the science stuff with peter was so i yeah i i i really liked the game um but i think a lot of what i really liked about it was what this is really emphasizing that word is the game part i actually don't know how much i cared for the story and i like individual elements of it um, I like a lot of the Craven stuff. Um, Venom ultimately felt kind of pushed into. The, I don't know. I, I wish it had more room to I have breathe. A question for y'all. Yeah, mm-hmm. just because like the thing I loved the most about what I played of the first game, and then uh, the Miles Morales uh, standalone, mm-hmm. is that there was so much slice of life stuff in it mm-hmm. that it was like, uh, yes, there was tons of Spider Man nonsense happening all the time, but. It also struck that really good balance of like, hey, you got to go be a son. You got to go be a friend. You got to go be, you know, an employee, a boyfriend. You got to go be fucking broke and <laughs> deal with the complications of that. And so there was a lot of the stuff that makes like Spider-Man really compelling, which is that, you know, you're this awesome superhero that also you're spending a lot of time in a very real life. That in various along various axes is going to hell in a handbasket. There's there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of relationships to manage, and just the vibe of like just the the pitch for this and and overall like what this game appears to be about is it feels like one of those big comics cross like like they're unloading a lot of like high level like you know uh, villains at you. There's a lot of like big Spider Man stuff happening, and I was wondering like does it come at ex- at the expense a little bit of like the small intimate scale the the first two games were, were good at or I'm, I'm curious because it sort of sounds like what you're what you're saying patrick puts me a little bit in mind of that but i'm I'm just curious if that's you know an accurate read on it no i, th- I think i think it is an act i think it's juggling too much and then ends up uh at the expense of that 
not giving a lot of the characters. I mean, look, it's it's a story with Miles. It pitches itself as like you can play as both, and both are happening. But like, this is a Peter Parker story. Um, like it really is, and and Miles is kind of long for for the ride. And there's some narrative reasons for that, but um, I, yeah, I just wish it gave Miles more space. And I think you're you're right, Rob. I, I think a lot of what a lot of what made the Miles Morales like spinoff work was a lot of that slice of life. But even in the the original game, like it's the stuff with Aunt May and Peter Parker is like there's tremendous work, like stuff being done in that with very familiar plot beats. And they're just I think the highs are high, Janet, in Spider-Man 2. But I think the lows are also pretty low and they last longer than I than I'd like. And so mm. it's one of those games where in the moment when I'm playing it, everything about it is firing on all cylinders for me. It is it is very much the type of game that that I love. Um, and the fact that it's like a cinematic, like big budget single player game that also has like a ton of platforming, like my, like that is like what I am, what I am here for. Uh, but I don't know. I found myself, I found it drifting further down my top 10 list. The more time I got separated from it. Um, and I don't think it's a bad game by any stretch. Yeah. There were plenty of other excellent games I could have swapped in here in its place. But I think, my I thought the, I think the first game and Miles are so great and I don't think this one quite it has more stuff going on but I don't think it quite reaches the same the same heights uh despite being like a bigger longer game than either of yeah those. I I like this one more than the other two as a game I think the story in the first one is the best one and I think Miles is really cool. Like, you know, the, <laughs> he is. he's, he's I, you incredibly know, like, cool in this I game. I do put that second, like, which, which is also weird that two is two. And then the other day I'm like, it's Spider-Man 2 because there's two Spider-Men. <laughs> I'm like, man, that's why they did it. I don't know. It was like a very, like, I was sober, but it was a very high thought that I had the other day. I'm like, that's why it's two. There's a um, guy, there's a guy, if, uh, I wish I had his account in front of me. I'll try and find it. But there's a guy who does, uh, imitation of miles from this game but like even though he, he acts like an NPC, you know like the the yeah. whole like npc trend yes. that was on tiktok like but someone did that for miles morales from the insomniac <laughs> spider-man games <laughs> and he's just rolling through these different lines it's, it's it's so fucking funny i will have to find a clip of it oh yeah um yeah i i think the which obviously you know like these are just different slightly different takes of the same game but i think the it's doing too much has always been a problem it's a problem in all of the games which i'm not saying that doesn't mean that it should be an acknowledged criticism. But to me, yeah, this did too much. Just like the, I guess, you know, maybe the first one didn't do too much. Like, I don't know. It is, eh. They're always kind of just trying to stuff a lot in there. They're like, yeah, we have the sure. main villain and then three other villains. And it's like, man, why can't you just do, focus on, I don't know. That's just, I just feel like they often don't give those plot lines for that reason that much space to breathe because they're still like not ridiculously long triple a games i mean they are like pushing those like 20 ish hours but they're not like it's not a 40 hour you know you only have so much time no and if, you, and if you were just doing the the the, the story content yeah. like weren't doing any, weren't engaged with any of the side stuff exactly it does fall into a game being like on that end of like 10 to 15 hours if you were just mainlining like each story quest as opposed to yeah. floating around the city i do think and, for sure when you think of shared protagonists it is Peter's story but I personally didn't feel other than um I know people debate like when Miles got one of his suits like that wasn't a big moment it was just kind of like he appeared and wearing it and then people are like also the, is the suit ugly that's a debate I don't know <laughs> right the product placement suit but um yeah I really I don't know I really loved Miles' story in this I actually connected with it a lot more than Peter's and I felt the game facilitated facilitated that connection um I think 
some of my favorite moments in this game are moments that are Miles moments. Almost all of them, actually, except for, um, again, some cool slice of life stuff with Peter, the Life is Strange moment on the bike, which it's so interesting because so many people come to this game for different things. Like, I love that moment. And, like, it kind of reminds me of um, not the same, but the the little, like, yak scene in God of War where people are like, I hated that. You walked through it so slowly. I'm like, that was one of the best parts of the game. What are you talking about? You know? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it is... It is that classic, um, you know, I think something that Insomniac's been pushing up against for a long time, which is they make great games that just haven't quite broken through. So definitely while I think we're kind of more similar than different, Patrick, and mm-hmm. though we just rate them slight, slightly different, like yeah. I think we both kind of land in a similar spot where like this is the least interesting, awesome game I played. It's like it is a great game. It's really fun. Yep. But at the same time, like as much as I loved it, outside of doing core content on it, there's not as many interesting things to talk about because I do think one of Insomniac's struggles is they make such polished experiences. They don't have enough. I want them to like fail in more obvious parts so that they glow and they glow brighter than they currently do because I think it's a little bit too smooth. It feels pretty safe, right? That's also kind of PlayStation Studios' biggest challenge in a lot of ways too. That's why I love last of us two so much because i'm like this thing's kind of a mess right like but that's kind of like what makes it interesting you know so i do think it kind of lacks that bit of intrigue in that sense but it's a fantastic game um really hoping they do some fun funkier stuff with some of the things they nod to in yeah that like completionisty run if you did that they kind of like okay so i'm i'm optimistic about directions they take it in but yeah i do think getting a little bit more creative and being a little more distinctive could go a long way for this franchise so we'll see Agreed. Got him. I uh, I was just going to say quickly is like after hearing all that, it, it makes me it it makes me think of how I still think Miles Morales, just the Miles Morales DLC is the best game they've made, like on its own, like as a little eight eight hour video game. If that could have existed. Of those, of those three, I it <laughs> is. Yeah, it is. It is the best. But I mean, that's the the nature of. Right. Smaller slices, right? As you can you can make them denser and more interesting as a result. And I think a, a huge part of Spider Man Two's pro- its inability to take the kinds of swings that Janet is is wishing for that I'm wishing for is like ah the city's bigger. Like all right, well we came up with a creative solution with a wingsuit, but um like what are we putting in this big city? You know yeah. what I mean? Like they're creating problems for themselves yeah. and having to come up with solutions to them, and um that's that's just an easier problem to solve when you have a smaller stakes or, you know, even smaller geography to work with. You're up, Kata. Oh, yeah. Where are we? Five? This is five, yep, right? Five. Uh, speaking of DLC, that is better than the main game. Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty on anyone else's wow. list? Wow. It will be when I beat it in two weeks. Um, That's what I, uh, but I haven't beat it either, now. but... <laughs> Okay. I'd play it a yeah, lot. Go, yeah, no, it. you're you're good. Let's let's dig into it. Yeah. Um it, So hang on. Yeah. Where were you in the like did you play Cyberpunk like around launch? Not like in the yes. window or yeah. Yeah. So in terms of things that like were most meaningful to you, uh-huh. is it the rework of Cyberpunk or is it specifically like the narrative of Phantom Liberty? Uh I mean it's both. Uh yeah. I'm only halfway through Phantom Liberty, so I haven't seen it how it plays out, but it has a very strong start. Uh, but I, what I decided to do was do a full, a fresh run, 
Like, yeah. like you could jump in from a, like an old save, and I was like, I want to actually see what these uh, updated, like the updated tech tree and all how how that all works out. And for me, in general, with games with this sort of like branching tech tree, I tend to internalize things better if I unlock them at pace yeah. instead of having being able to unlock a bunch of all at once. And then I'm like, wait, how do these things actually work together? So like, I was like, let's go from the beginning. And honestly, the on ramp through to Phantom Liberty. Um, the way they kind of change some of the sequencing and some of the ways that uh, events trigger, it's just like a much more streamlined experience uh, that takes out a lot of the issues I had with original Cyberpunk, where sometimes it would it would have these moments where it would stop and be like, go explore our open world. And it's like, your open world sucks. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you've made an immensely boring open world. I'm here for the the drama and the stories and the authored moments. I don't. I could give a fuck about I'll the rest of Night City. It. I'll look yeah, at the pretty city, exactly. but I, beyond that, let's let's move it's it along. It's a cool setting, but I do not want to spend time in it. I'm here for yeah. the the fucking plots where I'm, you know, uh, rewinding someone's like final moments on a on a brain dance or whatever. All all the drama and all that shit that was really fun. Uh, would just get come to a screeching halt and they're like then you have to wait for like a certain amount of in-game time but they wouldn't tell you this you find out I found out later like looking up guides and stuff once people had played it more it's like oh once you just wait 24 in-game hours the that person will call you back and then you'll start the next part of that quest part of part of the things that they've done with 2.2.0 uh, as they've been uh, as it's called the that patch is aside from completely changing the structure of a lot of the like builds that exist in the game and making new ones that weren't there before. Um, I tried to play a Netrunner, surprise, uh, <laughs> in uh, the original, and I, I had an okay time with it, but it was ultimately not very interesting to do. Um, it was, uh, you know, it, it essentially uh, amounted to being a mage that casts uh poison and then yeah. walks away and like you can still kind of do that in in the expansion but it's less compelling because they've given you other options uh, one of the big things is this new overclock mode that wasn't in the original uh where you can spend health like ram basically in order to uh, put a mm -hmm. program on an enemy, you need a certain amount of RAM open, but then you can overclock and you start eating into your health pool. And there's like builds you can make where like whenever a program finishes, uh, uh, finishes being downloaded into an enemy, you get a little bit of health back. And like, there's this loop happening. Snake where like, and roll. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You like, you like, you like lose a bunch of health. And then as they like start popping down, you go boop, boop, boop and get all that health back. And it's really satisfying. And now you're playing that really engaging high wire act. Yeah. Yes, uh, exactly. Well, it's I a push this, your luck. Oh, this calculation like, works. Uh, like I think I can get, kill this enemy with this combination of these three programs within enough time that I won't die on the way out. You know, like it's really, really fun. It, it becomes this push your luck, high risk, high reward playstyle, and I was like, it completely changed what that game plays like um, uh, from the get go. And then on top of this, the Phantom Liberty D DLC specifically uh, adds a new storyline that has like some amazing opening set pieces. Uh, Idris Elba's in it, and he does like a fucking amazing job. Uh, honestly, surprised he didn't. Not not surprised, but also a little surprised he didn't get the TGA for for that, given just the pedigree. But like, he's killer in this. Um, and uh, it just 
like, yeah, it completely opened up a game that I thought I had kind of put into a bucket of like, well, I wish they had, maybe the second one will be better. <laughs> and uh, like, there was a, like a thing that I always felt with the first game and I, and I like, I liked it in places and like quite a bit, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at launch, but I think I, a lot of that was the halo effect of what turns out to be the extended prologue of the game. Right. Is the yeah. cyberpunk I wanted to play right. where it's like, you know, you're working with a client who's like, God, I am double crossing people. I shouldn't be written all over her. You have this incredible, like heist job you're going on that goes to shit. And it all mm-hmm. like, and the game never recovers that sense of like dangerous energy and like, you know, crackling tension yeah. in the first game. Like no matter how many times they're like, uh, you know, the chip in your head is killing you V and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll just drive out to the country and like do this <laughs> race get or that something. Yeah. 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 And there was just nothing to, there was nothing that like lived up to the opening where you have all these characters you're invested in. And like, there's some really cool set piece stuff that you're doing. And I'm curious, like does Phantom Liberty finally put a like narrative arc in this game that lives up to the, you know, stage setting uh, that the game throws at you? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I think some of the uh, it, it highlights one of the original um, uh, quest lines. So the ones that you do with Judy, like, are basically um, it kind of like beelines you down that path to get into Phantom Liberty. Um, and I think that story was always actually really interesting, but it had that exact problem of just like you hit a point and then it's like, oh, now I've got to wait three in-game days. Like, I've lost all the tension of that storyline. I've lost, even kind of lost the plot of just like, wait, what was happening with you again? I forgot because I went Who and... Who cares? Why don't you go fight these evil taxis? Right. The, <laughs> the evil taxis oh, like one like of the more fun ones in the end, but... Uh, I like that side uh, quest. Um, it was just like, yeah, the the pacing completely through... Uh, what, there were, what were some original, like, in the original game, still good quest lines. Um, but because the the prologue doesn't have many of those moments, right? Like the prologue, you just kind of, you're rolling through it at whatever pace you want to go at. Uh, like it, it, I think, uh, you know, obviously uh, it, it showcased what the, the writing in the game can do uh, really well. And then they kind of like messed it up by chopping, trying to make you engage with the open world uh, a little too heavy handedly. And then also in Phantom Liberty, the actual DLC like storyline, I think um, definitely leans into some of that. Like you're putting in a being put in a hard position, like between a a rock and a hard place. And it uses the like chip in your head, like thing as like part of the opening um, uh, uh, motivation. But uh, I think the the like stakes of what you get put into feel uh exciting again like moment to moment and not just like pushing on the like and you're gonna die if you don't eventually get this chip out of your head thing right like it has its own kind of through line that is also like high tension and uh very very interesting um you know the the president of the united states crash lands into a fucking you did you see have you seen escape from new york <laughs> uh, um that but in a but in more cyberpunk less, dy- less i mean it's still a dystopia but you know it's got the extra high tech uh, layer of yeah. cyberpunk instead of the sort of more low tech uh you know 
dystopic roaming gangs of of uh, Escape from New York, but same beginning setup that kind of branches into like other things happening as it goes on that are really interesting. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed uh, so far what I've what I've hit of it and enough to put it on the list because the really the like what a redemption arc. Yeah, the the. Best ongoing game. You know? That doesn't make any Some, fucking sense. <laughs> uh, those those categories are just so weird. Anyways, like whatever, fine. I mean, Give categories them are bad, but yeah. also yes, that one that one doesn't make a, a look, make a sense. Make Even if, sense. as to Rob's point, it's it's cool to see the game end up where it is, and yes. it makes me. Yeah, like it's 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 an expansion that you know I played. I think half of it. I want to get to the other half. I really liked what I'd played of it. Um, like it understands builds in a way that the original did not right like the builds that you can do in the original sort of specking uh like the the upgrades you can get they may like they just don't flow in the same way that they do it was 2.0 update in the original Um, it was all uh the builds make your numbers be 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 bigger right it's not like you're changing play styles yeah yeah it was yeah i didn't feel like you were building a play style And, and 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 like you know like the character i ended up with you know, in the in the original game was, you know, like a sniper hacker, uh, like like wielding a blade uh, and I like to be invisible and sneak around. And unfortunately, it's like, here's your option with whacking that blade. Slow hit or like hard hit. And, and <laughs> you know, like in the expansion, like they added a dash and like a double. I mean, like there's all these yeah. in, like there's extra layers. To it. Like it's uh, I wish it went even deeper, but it gives me a lot of confidence that. They have a better sense of what's inherently interesting or like what is interesting about cyberpunk yeah. as a franchise and like as a game design that I think the sequel, like I'm really excited to see where they go with it because um, the folks that put this together are working on the sequel. And like that's that's really exciting because it seems like they understand what is good here and what people liked in a very flawed game at launch. Uh, and it ends up still a deeply flawed game, but, you know, Phantom Liberty well, that's also a place of benefits from being smaller, right? Yeah. So yeah. hopefully we'll we'll see what they end up doing with the world the second time around. But Phantom Liberty is even if you bounced off the game the first time, I I, I echo Kato's sentiments that Phantom Liberty is is quite excellent. Uh so my number five is War Tales, which has been out in early mm. access for years, but it finally hit 1.0 this mm. year. Uh that is a uh tactics game that is also like a mercenary management game in this huge uh you know expansive fantasy world uh that you're going around it is hard as hell and i think that's part <laughs> of the appeal uh so war tales basically you are dropped in to a world that you know there's all sorts of bad shit going down and there's a lot of work for mercenaries uh in in this world and as you wander around the overworld map with your growing band of mercs you can take on more clients and it's very customizable you can have it so that it's uh the game scales with you, but by default, and I think it's better this way, it operates almost like MMO zones where it's like this is the starter area. Like you can cross out of it into higher level areas, but like inadvisable until you attain uh you know a certain level of XP. But uh there's the mercenary management stuff is fun. Like you got to make payroll. This is from Shiro games uh, who made like Northgard uh, and I think they made uh, the Dune game. But uh Spice Wars. You know, pardon? The the newer one, Spice Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so you, you like there's a lot of resources to to juggle and like things like making sure everyone's well fed and well paid 
creates bonuses that carry over into battle and makes it so that your uh, party has like virtuous cycles occurring during battle. Uh, you know, characters can also evolve along along the way. There's little narrative arcs they go on and they get traits and all that stuff you want to want to see is like in a, in a long term like party management type game. Uh, the thing that is also kind of stand out here is that, you know, a lot of like a, a lot of good tactics games, like they need some kind of twist, some kind of hook, right? Like what is the way, what is the thing we're going to do to make this more interesting than like move this guy around behind the enemy while they're engaged from the front and get a backstab bonus and like flank these guys. Like what, how do you make it interesting beyond that? And their solution here is that there are sort of inherent abilities characters get, uh, based on how you kit them out. But Really, the big thing that is a determinant of their tactical options beyond their class is the weapons they carry also carry like different attacks and bonuses and quirks to it that are positionally based. Uh, so like a character will have a, you know, based on one weapon, they have like a devastating, uh, you know, arc of attack in front of them that will do friendly fire damage. Like if, you know, if they're waiting into melee and there's a ton of friendlies there, they're actually harder to use than you think because uh, it's very easy for them to be positioned inefficiently where you need them to be hitting multiple enemies a turn. And if they have to just clip the edge of one enemy to avoid your two, your two allies, then you're, you're being very self-defeating. They found, you know, an actual novel overwatch mechanic uh, to put into the game that your archers can, can activate that makes positioning and preparation a little more uh, careful, like demanding of care. And there's a lot of like cool environmental effects and damage. Maybe sometimes a little too environment. Like sometimes Mm. this is a game where fire bad and fire gets a little (laughs) bit much. Uh, Yeah. There's times where it's like, okay, we get it. Like fire propagates here. Uh, I like, we all love far cry too, but this is, this is all (laughs) getting a little bit silly. The way characters are just like wandering around, setting each other on fire uh, just from being proximate to each other. (laughs) But that being said, like it's a big game. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of good battles to be fought and it changes quite a bit. Like the, the things that as you get deeper into this and things begin to move away from just like beat up on bandit gangs, uh, you know, you're, you're just fighting different sorts of battles, uh, that require different tactics. So like it is, this became a real time sink game and, uh, in a good way. And it became just like a, you know, this type of RPG, it's sort of a, a, a box that hasn't been checked for me uh, since like BattleTech, really. Like I'm looking for another mm. one of these, and this is—I I don't know that it's as fun as BattleTech or as like stylish. I think BattleTech, you know, is, has a, has a vibe all its own. R.I.P. Hairbrain schemes. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, but this is still like if you're like I just want a big campaign with lots of managing my units and, Mm -hmm. you know, having to replenish casualties and develop, you know, new troops. Uh, It's got all that, all that sort of like football manager, but for mercenaries type stuff, it's got a lot of that. Uh, Have at it. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, And I, I wouldn't say tactic games are an underserved market, but like this particular vibe of like, I want to, I basically want to be the coach of my mercenary team mm-hmm. and develop my rookies and all that. It, it's, it's got that in spades. So uh, highly recommended. Uh, we should take a break here 
Uh, speaking of mercenaries, we need to get paid too. So we're going <laughs> to take a quick break here <laughs> oh, and back after this. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein. Has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And we're back. Uh, with top fours at this point, it's getting it's getting pretty real, Patrick. It is. Uh, it, it, just to piggyback off what Rob said before, you can also see Rob play some more tales uh, when we did Rob's like Wheel of Shame. Yeah, back in I think November or early yeah. December. There's so uh, much that game left to play too. Like I'm like deep into it, and I'm still yeah. like. Yeah, but you can see a little bit of Rob just trying to shake the rust off and, and playing that game if you want to see a little bit of it uh, uh, yourself. Um, four. Cocoon. 
Yes. Kato, are you are you studying? You're studying your notes. You were good. I, my, Cocoon was nine on me, so you're okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. okay. <laughs> Mine was. 10, um. So. Yeah. Cocoon. Uh. A game. Janet. Where did you have it on your list? Ten. Seven. Ten. Ten. Um. So yeah, I have I have it high at four. Uh. You know we talked a lot about this game on on the podcast already, but I I think the the way I'd pitch it. Uh. You know to why it landed so highly was. I just love the fact that it felt like it was a, a puzzle game made, especially for me. There's an <laughs> interview I have up with like the designer of the game that essentially sounds like Patrick, like is puppeting them to speak, which is just like, <laughs> I, I don't you hate it when puzzle games like make it real hard to know what's going on and what the tools are and just make it feel like you got to look something up. I don't like those games either. So I didn't make one of those. And that like, that's what cocoon is like the, there's so many good, amazing things about cocoon. There's the mm. way it looks, there's the way it sounds, there's the way the puzzles are designed, but it's that last part and all the things that extend out of it, where you always know what you're working with. The game constrains you into, into spaces where it doesn't feel like you've gotten locked into an arena. Like they're very good at making the style of it, the look of it, the feel of it, not feel ultra constrained, but as you get further and further into the game, you begin to pick up on the fact that, oh, whenever I'm frustrated looking for some clue on what to do, and I'm like, I bet if I go three screens away, like I'm going to figure it out. It's probably back there. It's never back there. And it's rare they're going to let you go that many screens back. Pretty much every single time, what you need to know is right there, and you're just not putting the pieces in order to pull it off. And that is just such a delightful feeling because it starts, it allows me to push back on that natural tension where I need like a hint. Like I need a little, like give me some guidance. And if I know it's all right here, then I can push that off a little bit further than I normally would. And what that ended up doing in Cocoon was over and over me solving puzzles that felt just just made me feel really smart and really good and like combine that with like a you know a John Carpenter synthesizer soundtrack mm-hmm. and just like this really strange looking world I I don't really know what's going on and I don't really care uh but it feels good to be here uh in a creepy sort of way and <laughs> that's why that game just stuck out so much to me over over my time playing like I like I don't really play a lot of games on weekends I, I usually give myself that off because the the kids are home all day and a cocoon. It was like, uh, yeah, Jessica, like you, you, you want to print out some more drawings? Like dad's got to finish his <laughs> coffee and like play another 20 minutes of cocoon. I'm almost done with this puzzle. And it's very rare that a game is able to do that for me. But cocoon was one of those. And, and that's why at the, at the end of the day, uh, or at the end of the year, rather, you know, it ended up ranking so highly for me over experiences I had throughout the, throughout the year. Yeah. It's really it's, good. It's, it's, it's great and bite-sized in a way that was perfect for the way I played it, which was laid the fuck out on a couch because I was sick with COVID. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> uh, one of the only things I did during that time. Um, but it was uh, just, it's 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 great. Because like you said, like they, 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 they subtly, subtly lock you into like areas where you're like, you don't have to backtrack. You're not missing something. You're maybe missing a deduction that you haven't made just yet. Um, but uh, the ways they get there are actually like 
supremely cl- clever. There, there are multiple times where I'm like, oh, that's how that works? Sick. Like, yeah. he, there, there's surprises throughout, even if it never gets, like you, like you said, it never really gets to the point of, like, ever being, like, frustratingly hard ever or anything like that like it was it's a very smooth experiment experience but it still manages to make you feel clever when you figure something out and uh, and go like oh wow when you know like oh this is not necessarily what i was thinking of but it makes sense like they've set it up it actually totally makes sense that it works this way uh i just didn't consider it until they forced me to consider it sort of uh kind of unveiling of mechanics which is really really well done um and yeah looks great Great art style, bite size. Just like games should be short. God damn it! So I can finish them. <laughs> uh, when it left you, I remember. Uh, you know, when we had a discussion on the podcast after you played it, Kato. Yeah. One of the things you said, while not necessarily a complaint, but is is something that you don't often feel with games, with puzzle games in general. Right. Is you're like, I wish it went deeper. Like I yeah. wish there was yeah. more. Like I wish like it pushed a little harder and. There were, That's usually a sign that a game <laughs> did it right. You know what I mean? Right, like yes. left you wanting more as opposed to, and it's it's hard, right? Because yeah. like as Janet was talking about puzzle games, like everyone comes at puzzle games differently. Our brains literally interpret the information different. Like 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 spatial like shapes and stuff are very difficult for me to comprehend in puzzle games. Like it always sort of breaks me, and so it's just a. I'm glad the game ended in a place where it like hit me like direct on. Like I need no more, no less game was exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And for you, who I think like is going to solve those things a little faster than I probably did. It makes sense that you got to the end and went, ah, I wish there was like a yeah. room around the edge that was like, here are some expert level versions of, of all this. But I think it's a, it's a just, testament to the game that it's like, here's what it is. And that's all that it is. Yeah. It is. It was just specifically because of the way that they unlocks like the, 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 the orbs in this game, which are your main, you know, thing objects that you're interacting with there was i I wanted one maybe one or two more with the full suite of orbs um they but like at that point you're already like near the end of the game once you have all four available to you so it's like they kind of roll through a couple of things with all four and then like say goodbye uh i could have used just one more one or two more just like get a little bit more of the like what can you do with all four of these things like what other weird configurations were possible um but uh but yeah like you said in, in a way that was like i want i i want more not like it fell short different right. kind of feelings of of being slightly complaining at the end of a game <laughs> yeah 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 for sure yeah i think it definitely started cooking at the end which for me and maybe it's because I played most of it in one go, a stream go that was Ooh, like long. Okay. Yeah. I, it took me a long time to be I'm like, this four hour game was like a nine hour stream because you have to I double time. Like your it's like a solid six hours. I think. Yeah. It took me longer than. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's puzzle games though, right? Yeah. So if you have a, if your brain is configured in a way that just sort of sees the designs in front yeah. of you, like this game just sort of speak, like I can see why someone would get yes. through it in four hours. I think we're all closer to mm-hmm. the six to eight hour mark. Yeah. Like Hell that's yeah, where I people. was <laughs> too. Um, but it's not hard for me to to look at it and go yes. like, well, maybe this just made sense to you as soon as you saw it. And exactly. I had to do more playing with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was already, you know, had the, the SGF knowledge in my mind where I'm like, Sarah told me the answer. It's just the first couple of these. So I can just beam through them. Um, 
But yeah, like to echo what you mentioned, Kato, with like surprises, I the thing that I think this game does really well um, is being delightful in getting to solve the puzzle, like the physical act of solving, like picking up the little orb and putting it down like it's like, you know, it goes down like a little metallic ramp and then it lands and it has like it's just a satisfying game to play. And there's not um, a, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of puzzle games where usually the fun is in the solution, not the execution. And I think um, Cocoon is a game all about the execution. And I think it's executed beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick, you mentioned the sound design. I think this has like one of the best sound design works of the year by a lot. Um, it's got it's like right on the edge of being gross, but it's like not gross because it's like kind of cute looking with like the art like being sort of <laughs> muted. But yeah, it's like if Scorn wasn't disgusting and instead was like <laughs> was like a li- just vague enough that you don't have to think about how nasty the environment actually is because it has this really like fun. Um, I love the mix of mechanical and organic in this game, and I think it's done in a way that's a lot more creative than you typically see. Um it is a little Giorgio O'Keefe at parts, but like nothing, nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Um, like, all right. Um, this is an interesting structure, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I you know, like the Yannick uh, symmetry being on, put on display here. Look, it's a game about I mean, orbs and possibly rebirth. Uh, you know, yeah, what makes it was sense. like something just birthed me in here, and then yeah. there's some wild, wild stuff going on. Um, and it's a game about nature and like your place in as an organic creature and the, I don't know, it's a whole thing. Um, but I also like, you know, like how you mentioned like how it sort of unveils itself. I really enjoyed like how these solutions were created almost like a math worksheet, but like a simple math worksheet where if you answered number one, number two builds on number one. So I think they stacked yeah. the solutions per section in a way that made it, I think that's what helped create the ease of getting to the solutions besides the stuff you mentioned, Patrick, where they kind of lock you in like, Hey, it's all right here. I don't know. What do you look at? Maybe the water, <laughs> no, the reflection didn't work. What else could it be? You know, it's very like, it mm-hmm. does that with you and it facilitates that inner dialogue in a really good way. Um, and I think the last thing I want to say about cocoon is shout out to this, is like a light a spoiler to like some of the, like a, a suite of solutions, but there's a moment where you can like, throw the orb like down like a little basketball and that was just so fucking sweet i love doing that i was like oh shit you can it's like and one cocoon let's go (laughs) (laughs) bang bang yeah that was cool all right uh i think that's your number four now right yeah um dead space remake higher wow let me just sit my ass down all right kata what do you got wow hold on one second Number four, what am I looking at? <laughs> Baldur's Gate <laughs> 3. Well, I'm uh, also higher. taking notes for the, the timestamps. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> I should, I'm, they have to produce. No, you're not wrong, you're not wrong, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm actually cook. not doing shit here, so I need, to, I need to shut the fuck up. That's my bad. <laughs> though, we do, though we do know they have a shameful list where it's, it's like... Yeah, but yeah, yeah, this didn't happen <laughs> last year, so it's not... Yeah, like, <laughs> um, like, They're assembling the plane in the air. Yeah, uh-huh. there's numbers next to most of these now. Uh, All right. Number four is Baldur's Gate 3. Avid Hire. Oh. 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 <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, number four, System Shock Remake. I, wow. I, it almost did. It, it was 
It was a, a battle for 10th. <laughs> I almost had it on there. <laughs> so, I think, like, it's just a... It's really cool, uh, yeah. just as a remake of that game. I've played the first, uh, you know, few sections of the original game multiple times, and uh, know know pretty well. And the remake does a really good job of like updating System Shock while feeling very consistent with the the atmosphere, the pacing, the style of of the original game, despite being sort of a you know night and day uh remake of the entire thing things have been re-recorded um you know there's there's uh you know to say nothing of the the tweaks they made to the graphics but i do think the the graphical style they went with is really good at hearkening back to the way that system shock uh the original looked uh with that sort of uh, fair to say like it's a voxely look uh in this in this game it's like you know heavily pixelated but with like tons of lighting tech thrown at it yeah it's also like low, low. The all the textures are are low res on purpose, right? Like yes, designed yeah. to be low, low, lower pixel count, uh, for that look of older style graphics. Yeah, uh, I think the other thing that uh, to to a degree, like some of this is also just what do I find interesting about System Shock? Mm-hmm. The fact that this is a game where it's like we don't really do levels in the way that we yeah. do now. That System Shock, that when Looking Glass built this, and this game is consistent with that. There's very little handholding. There's a lot of like, really, you should be playing this with a notebook so that when a character says something offhand in audio log, we are not going to generate the like mission log thing for you to go here and do this. <laughs> you should probably like put two and two together. Like think about based on what these characters have said, how do you prevent the mining laser from shooting at Earth and destroying it? We aren't going to tell you the step by step thing you got to do. The things you have found in the game teach you how to do that. And by the way, they're not going to be in one place where it's like, go here, do this, check that box. It's going to be spread across multiple decks. And you're going to have to, like, uh, revisit sections and figure this stuff out as you go. And that's really cool. It makes it a more, uh, you know, it makes Citadel Station feel like a... uh, authentic place in a lot of ways, as opposed to a series of, like, uh, haunted houses that you go through a different theme for for each level that is how that formula has been reinterpreted i think for a lot of good reasons you know the things that i like about about this all these frictions i encounter boy there's also reasons people don't make them like this anymore right mm-hmm. like this this the whole thing of like we're gonna obscure that information what's, like you should yeah what's, what's wild is that the original had an extra tool that they couldn't put in decided to take out where you could write on the map annotated map annotated map like in game being able to do that that. in this day would have like made that better but the fact that you can just like what is it you put like a little place marker and that that's it you can't write what was that place marker who's to say (laughs) um but like i think that would have helped a lot in this remake and honestly this i don't know how I want to look, look at the this is this is System Shock and there was a number next to it and it got crossed out on accident. I think it was 6. And then when I reordered them, it's it fell off and I'm like, "Wait, this game was actually really fucking good. Why is it not on my list? I think I'm going to knock 10 off into honorable mention." Well, but also like I I do think there's oh, things yeah. toward the end that overstays its welcome a little bit, which yeah. you know, there's there's parts uh I mean, hell, like there's parts of the original game that kind of, you know, like 
I'm not sure cyberspace worked then. I'm not sure it works now. And every time it's like it's to get to this better, next chat, it, it's but, better. Yeah. It couldn't have been worse. Uh, but every time you got to go in and you play this little like vector graphic shooter type thing, it's yeah. like, I don't know. This isn't really what I want to be doing in this game. Right. Like, I, yeah, like let me go back yeah. to the space station and not play, uh, you know, th- this. But, you know, for, for all that, I think it is both an achievement as a remake of a really old game that predates a lot of sensibilities and also playing it. Those frictions are interesting. It is a game that like rewards paying close attention in a way a lot of games yes. don't demand you do anymore. And also highlights the reasons that all those player aids have really come into vogue. And, you know, some of the reasons why games in this vein now are kind of meant to function on autopilot where if you don't pay attention to shit, your HUD will still tell you, go here, do this. Here's why. Uh, And it's kind of refreshing to go play a game. That's like, we're not going to explain that to you. You should, you should have internalized like the logic of the story we're telling and why your character would go here. You should, you should, you should be engaged with what's happening to you, to your character, right? Like it, 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 it is the like a polar opposite of the the podcast game. You can't be split because uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're in, you can't be split um, focus on this because you're gonna get lost. Um, and I I personally like loved that. I wish there were the one or two extra tools of note taking in the game, but it also has I think a pretty good balance of. The amount, like, because there's information in the, like, audio logs, thank God, of course, they have the transcription, so you can kind of scan them if you're looking for information instead of having to sit there and listen to them. But second, there aren't too many that are purely side stuff. Most of them that are important, like, you kind of pick up, like, oh, this is actually trying to tell me something. And then there isn't, like, there's this there's this part of, of games now where, like, some audio logs are, like, they're just background, they're just extra, like, you can kind of skip over them and keep playing the game that I think encountering this, like, caused some initial friction. But then once I decided to start taking, like, no, this is... The, the the audio logs are my quest log. That's where that's where they are. I just have to keep a mental note of like, oh right, I remember someone talking about that. Let me scan through all the all the uh, things in 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 my log to see where that piece of information was. Um, and like, I just think add add back the map thing, and yeah. it's like. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't know. Bizarre <laughs> change. Yeah, inexplicable. I don't especially understand because, like, it. Especially because, like, for all the reasons we just said, like this game needs you to pay attention. Yeah, the game originally also came with a huge player aid that let you because the map. Right. These levels are convoluted. Citadel's mm-hmm. huge. Uh, you really do need and the yet- ability to like jot down these notes. And there's like some like um like storage that are particularly maze like, but there's a sort of like concentric ring situation that you. Kind oh yeah, of no, like, the quadrant they, system makes sense. You, it makes you internalize the sense that like one deck doesn't entirely not map to the next. Right. Like, yeah. The, like you can see the concentric circles starting like to rise up as you go up, and like how they get like it's actually I think just a a, a definitely a masterclass in in level design in that way of just like it's seeming at first especially completely labyrinthing and then ending up like in the space in my mind as i was playing it where i was like 
this all kind of makes some intuitive sense, especially having seen the ship from the outside, you know? Does it kind of make you also just aware of, like, and this is the only game like that, but, and not to go all, like, return on this, but, <laughs> like, the shooters become kind of an impoverished space for, mm. like, exploring a setting and, like, uh-huh. getting a little bit lost in the maze. Like, as production values increase, the the notion of, like, shooter as hallway that you blast your way through has become more the motif yeah. for a lot of shooters. But there just aren't many of these, like, they're not even, like, hub and spoke structures. This is just, like... It's a maze. Yeah. Go go figure this setting out and explore it and battle, battle, battle your way through all this. Yeah. And you know what? That feels really good. It reminds me, like, I used to play shooters a lot. And I play them less now frequently because the space itself is kind of so obvious and, mm-hmm. like, not rewarding exploration that, like... If you like the hallway, great. If you don't, there's not much for you there. But, but either way, there's not a lot of, like... Uh, freedom and how you approach yeah. the setting. And this game is made of like both from weapon selection to ways you can get out your character. Like there's loads of different ways you can go about this, and uh, which is awesome. And it's just like, even like the, sh- the shooting in and of itself, I feel like some of it, um, you know, the vibes that it gives me is honestly closer to like an RE one, situation of like it's obviously because of the 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 structure of of how they do drops and stuff it's part like resource management part wanting to make sure your shots count uh and part like these things can kill you pretty quickly if you're not careful where like i spend a lot of time not running through that game right like in a modern fps like you always want to be sprinting you're moving like it's it's an action game but if this felt almost like survival horror at its at, in just like in a different perspective right uh because like running into the wrong pot of enemies at the wrong time like can just totally throw your save out out the window um and but like, if you do want to run it you can turn on your speed boots speed and your jump boots, boots yeah. and like there's a ridiculousness like to the the again the flexibility this gives yes. you where it's like but if you do just want to like turn be mr speed you can do that and it's like can't hit we can't see right (laughs) yeah and and they they like like played in the space at the very beginning before you like unlock the boots but then like yeah like you're saying it very smartly gives you options and like you have to kind of play a little differently you have to know all right i gotta be able to recharge these shits because they're gonna run out of power pretty quickly if i'm just zooming through a level so i gotta be able to like go hit this thing like it causes a little uh it's it's not a like turn difficulty off thing it's a yeah. we're finding new ways to move through the level thing which is very uh well done i think um good fucking yeah. game yeah cool game it's going back on the list somewhere i think i went yeah. sorry drop right. drop you were cool but like i don't figure it out i think everything oh, man, else just I'll... drops down one r.i.p to Kyle number 10 uh let's see what happens for the rest of this chat uh, the first fallen soldier we're on the top threes but patrick i know you gotta run out in a minute here I think I can do. I think I can do my top three, uh, my number three, uh, before before I have to jet off. To right, get, but should we just uh, like pause cap? here because before we do the next go around? We sure. Yeah, we can. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Reconvene in like thirty. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Does that work for everyone? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. My number three is Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Um, assume. 
I'm cool. cool. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Uh, Yeah, I am not a huge fan of the new Super Mario Brothers series, of which Super Mario Brothers Wonder is in the same lineage. It is definitely a descendant of or an iteration on a series that Nintendo, uh, kind of a spinoff series of Mario games Nintendo has been doing since the, like the DS. I think new Super Mario Brothers for the DS is 2000. Six, I think that's right, is when in this this kind of like iteration of the Mario series mm-hmm. uh, kind of kickstarted. And then uh, I've just they haven't actually done a whole ton of iterations on it since. You know, you have New Suit Mario Brothers, then you have New Suit Mario Brothers U and then New Suit Mario Brothers U Deluxe. And so they're actually over nearly 20 years. Mm-hmm. Nintendo has not actually done a whole ton of meaningful iterations on the 2D side of Mario. It's right. mostly been taken over by the 3D side following Mario 64 and then kind of continuing through uh, Mario Odyssey on on the Switch. And so what's delightful about Wonder is that it feels like Nintendo taking risks and chances and experimenting with a side of Mario that is no longer like the predominant way we think of playing Mario games, even though the 2D games quietly sell a shitload. (laughs) Like, I don't know what wonder sales have been like, but the new, there's a almost kind of a reason Nintendo has not. Why do another 2D game? If you can just keep reselling the same one and it sells tens of millions of copies. Uh, I can see, (laughs) certainly see the logic there. And that is, that has been, that has worked for them for a while. And, and wonder is just really imaginative uh, it's got great level design. It takes some pretty wild swings for the format. I, I think, Janet, when you and I talked about it in the past, it's a game full of set pieces. And those set pieces probably mean that Wonder has less replayability than other Mario games. But what it does mean is that it has incredible novelty every time you come into a stage in which you know that the designers, the artists, the programmers have something interesting lined up for you to do uh, or to look at or to experience. And that can range anywhere from piranha plants composing a musical (laughs) to like riding like a wave of like rhinoceros elephant creatures. I forget exactly what you're like riding in one of those, but like you're kind of like coasting along like a bull rush. Um, You might be suddenly the, the entire physics of the game change. And it's sort of like you're in space. It's just, a game full of really delightful twists and turns. I think the secrets are exceptionally well done. I've always said that Nintendo has understood what is at its core enjoyable about collectibles, which is exploring spaces in interesting ways and being rewarded for it. And I think over time, collectibles have become hidden trinkets to unlock a trophy in which you have to use a guide to actually find all of them. And you know, uh, I believe Janet. It's a, yes, Bull Rush, one of the 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 one of the characters in the game. Thank you, Janet. I think you mentioned earlier that you appreciated games that let you one hundred percent them without referring to a guide. And I think that's actually something Nintendo has gotten right for a very, very, very long time before we had things like trophies. Before com- like com- being a completionist was really like an idea or an identity you could have as a way of you play games. They've always understood fundamentally uh, as a game developer across their various teams, the various disciplines that 
it should be a joy to find the secrets. And they're more successful, less, less successful across different games. But I think Wonder is an example of an incredible success where I delighted in coming back to each level, partially because they're bite-sized. Every level is no more than a couple of minutes to complete. And because the primary thing that you're looking for is three purple coins, it's almost like the game has segmented checkpoints for you. Where it's like, all right, I just found the shadow of the third coin, and I know that I got the first coin. So this chunk of the level is what's hiding this second coin. And I I still referred to a game, a guide a handful of times that I where I couldn't quite piece it together. Uh, but you know, I've collected, you know, this game doesn't have an in-game percentage marker. I mean, you can like kind of tick things off. It lets you know as you're collecting things, but uh I've done the vast majority of what's in this game. I will probably do the rest of it on the couch uh, over the holidays. And it constantly brought a smile to my face. I have all sorts of different qualms about it that, like, I've written about it crossplay or talked about here. I think it makes some really crappy choices in regards to, like, being a more family-friendly <laughs> game for, for younger players. I, I think that's something that Nintendo gestures at but doesn't actually understand what it means for for families to play uh, their games frequently, I think their design is inherently family friendly, but it it's not because they're thinking about like, huh, what would make this best for like kids of all ages to play with? And so that part is disappointing because I ended up playing Wonder primarily as a game by myself, but I had such a joyous time doing that. And it's rare for me to get a new Mario game. I feel like I'm on the cusp of a, a Mario sans because I'm sure that they're sitting on <laughs> a near complete or complete Mario game that's just locked and loaded for the next switch. And so uh-huh. I've got that 3d game right around the corner. Uh, but I love the fact that the 2d series seems to have found a new identity for itself. And that what's here in wonder is a really wonderful foundation for them to iterate on in the future. And for the first time in a long time, I'm almost as excited about the leaps the 2d games could make uh, as I, as I am about the 3d ones. Uh, Cause I think wonder really sets kind of a tone for what these types, this approach to Mario games could be, you know, for the next decade and change. Yeah, I think it definitely, like, breathed it, it bred life. I don't know how to, how, yeah. to, how, how to, you know what I mean? The tense got all messed up, but I think it, you know, <laughs> infused some life into the, the 2D series, as you mentioned, which up until this point has been, obviously, you know, it's a mixed bag because you go, back in the day and it's like those some of the most beloved games of all time but like in the more recent history it's a little like mm, you know i think they lack an identity it's like what yes. are we doing here oh it's just mario in 2d i guess he got big you know like i think that the ds okay, when the, he got, no, huge... that one was good <laughs> it, it was but, but here's the thing i'm able to tell you he got big like that may be a gimmick but it's it's an idea say. <laughs> yes, right you know exactly. it's an idea and i think wonder it's it's the trip you know it's the, the drug tripping that's happening yes. when you're finding these flowers but then that allows them to explore different ideas and yes. so i think what's critical about wonder is that it has an identity and i don't think i can really pin down much of an identity aesthetically or mechanically for the other 2d game yeah. in the last like 15 years and i think that's what really stands out about Wonder. van gogh level and ugly art yes. <laughs> kind of in the legacy which isn't which also Van Gogh level, not enough to sell the whole game. I'm not going to lie. It was cool. It was not enough. Um, I think this has a lot of high points to it for sure. I feel like my biggest critique of Mario Wonder and like why it's not on my list, even though I also haven't finished it. So I kind of am reserving more of my assessment until I'm done. 
Um, but I think it's a little too much of everything. Like, I do think the wonder seat is the connective thread. You know, it's in the name. It's in like each level. It's the vibe. But they show me so many things. And I feel like I want to I want some of those ideas to get a little bit more space. Um, I also would love to see a little bit more in environmental identity. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a, I'm a six golden coin stand. So I have to I'm not going to lie. I'm picturing <laughs> those worlds. And I'm like, I feel like we nailed video games with that game, you know, mm-hmm. but I would like to see a little bit more on that front. But to some of the points you brought up, too, um, I really love the sort of side levels. I feel like this has some of the best side content in a Mario game with it having it's kind of like what if we took at the end of those Yoshi levels where you like throw eggs at a board. What if we made that fun sometimes? And like, that's what those levels do. Those little bite size, you know, yeah, like the boss, races, or like, kind of like or, the enemy, like the, there's the races, there's the, uh, kill the there's enemies. An, there's essentially a kill, kill rooms where it's just <laughs> yeah. like, take out this many enemies and then, and then move on and doing that against, uh, a timer. There's yes. the, my, my personal favorites, which are the, the jump, jump, jump series of levels where they're sort of musical themed and you're like racing as, areas behind you are disappearing. Yeah. Like those are amazing. I guess like part of what I wish the game would push is like, just push the dial, like the heat on me a little bit or give me more levels that let me experience that. There are some difficult stages in here, but Oh yeah. Like Super Mario 3d world, which is also one of my all time favorites had like the main line levels in that game aren't all that difficult. But then there's a whole world of side content, a little bit like Cocoon, like yes. of Kato's Cocoon. Welcome to Kato's Cocoon Corner. <laughs> Kato's Cocoon Corner complaints. C C C C C. Uh, and like Wonder or, or World helps straddle that line where it's yeah. like there are just mind-numbingly difficult areas, often yeah. a secret world, and they do kind of have that here. But even I found it like not enough. But it did. I'm I'm with you. I wish this game iterated a little bit on. Sometimes you'll see an interesting idea, and it's like, can't wait to see if they come back to that. They don't come back to that. Yeah. And I, I I do wish that happened a little more uh, frequently. I think, too, I miss, um, I think some of the limitations, in a way, is the way they do the badge system, where you don't really, in my feeling- Don't need them. I, don't need them. They are functionally well, useless. I mean, I like, so actually, I like, the thing I like about the badge system is that it brings back the stuff that I wish they just had in the game. Like, I think they parsed down Mario and Friends' moveset um, a little too much for my liking. And I know it's going to make me an old head because it's like, kids today will be like, this is just how Mario moves. But I don't get it as, I feel like part of why I don't have as much fun in the in the levels for the sake of just moving through the space of the levels. And I'm more like, oh, it's cool that like, now I'm like tall and weird or now we're in the dark or now there's like whatever, like, it's more of what's happening around me than how I interact with the platforms because like they don't have like the traditional moveset that Mario normally has. And some of those moves are relegated to like, well, if you get a badge, like now you can, you know, maybe jump a little higher the way you'd normally have Luigi be, but you want them functionally the same, but also some of the characters aren't functionally the same. So there's a lot of those little, well, the be- some of the best stages bits. are the badge, um, yeah. The badge, the badge challenge ones where it, mm. the levels are designed around a badge yeah. and ask you to then use them to their fullest degree over the course of like, I think, th- like, I think there are badge, ma- like three levels of badge mastery that can happen uh, for a number of the badges. And that's ultimately why I think I ended up getting the badge that let me like spin, I like, can like air spin in the air Same. or the, or the air cap that lets you kind of float down. 
those are all the ones that I actually, I never switched it up when I was actually playing, but I always delighted in the stages that said, hey, you need to actually, like one of my favorites was the badge where you can do a second jump after you've fallen off of a ledge. Yeah. And so they've, they've, they've structured all of the platforming where you need to let your, let your character fall and then time the jump so you can get to the next spot. It's so wonderful, but the badge system is an idea that's not married with level design because ultimately if you don't need any of these badges to get to the end, you flattened the level design as a result, Um, which is why the badge mastery levels work so great because you have to use them and the designers can get tricky and ask a lot of you. But in the, like the mainline stages, they have to flatten it and not, you can essentially kind of cheat with those different ones um, or accomplish certain things in ways that other badges won't. Um, but I'm with you that I think that creates a weird, a weird tension for the game that it, it can't, yeah. ultimately can't resolve because it only really resolves it in the badge specific stages. So I just end up not really interfacing with the badges and it's like, here's this big system, like a core part of the game. And I'm just not, I'm just going to kind of pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. I'm looking forward to checking out more of the, the hard levels as well. Cause I do think there is a lot of challenge there and it's, they're very well designed. My only like part that I'm kind of bummed at so far, and I've, I haven't seen all of them. So maybe that this changes mm-hmm. over time, Patrick, you might know more than me, but I kind of am not a big fan of the like, and we have this one song that's like really plain. That's like almost like a metronome. Cause here's the thing about metronomes. They're great for keeping time, but they're also great for driving you insane. Um, <laughs> people hate metronome. Like you use them, you know, I have like a, you know, keyboard in the background. I'm practicing piano, like learning that. And I'll put on the metronome to like help me with the timing. And it's mm-hmm. a useful tool, but I don't practice all day with the metronome cause I would lose my mind. And like, I feel like those where other platformers have figured out how to utilize music. Yes, I'm looking at Rayman Legends and Origins, who like, yep. you know, top two and not two. Hello, like best in the game for music, in my opinion, mm-hmm. for platforming. Agreed. Sackboy's cute, but like, it's really just like listening to Bruno <laughs> Mars and like, it's fine, you know. But anyway, um, I wish they did more with that. I think, too, like, why do we have to be in like a naked space to have a hard level? You know, it's like, oh, these are yeah. just like random blocks when it's like. I think if we learned anything from Mario Maker 1 and 2, it's using just the regular Mario assets. You can create people's personal hells. And I would love for like a Nintendo, if Nintendo wanted to go there, which they clearly do with those areas, it's like, okay, but why do these have to be like devoid of of all that other stuff? You know what I mean? In a game that's so like, uh, I think, vibrant in its general environment and what they, the, and playful, I feel like, why can't we have play and difficulty together? So I kind of don't love how that's kind of, they're like stripped down little I think the, Well, I think Nintendo have used this branch of Mario as specifically targeted at families and yeah. kids. And it I did win I think best family a, game. Right. <laughs> and I, I think that is by design. I think that is intent. And so sort of what I, in my heart of hearts, what I wish they would do is I, I'll acknowledge that I'm not the core audience. Like, I can enjoy this game. Clearly, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But, you know, this idea of like, oh, turn up the temperature. Like, give me some, like, I don't know that they're ever going to do that in this game because but it's- I think they did. Because, like, I don't think a kid can, maybe some kids can. They're like, some kids are out there balling. But, like, those stages are hard. Like, the dark levels in Odyssey are hard. The dark, like, the whatever in 3D is difficult. But they're just plain looking. Which, like, yeah. I don't know. It's a stylistic choice. Like, maybe they're like, we want this to- 
give the vibe of like a little bit of like a test room kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like those areas are so sterile. They're like the most sterile Mario levels I've ever played. They're very cool because they're hard, but they're, I don't know, that those are like spots where I kind of find myself being like, mm, I'm not so sure yet, but definitely want to finish it. Um, and as much as my partner has his critiques too, I started playing on my own and then he's like, hold on, are you playing, you playing Mario Wonders? I don't know. Maybe he's <laughs> false flag and I'm calling him out. Maybe he likes a little bit more than he cares to admit. But um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, and there is a lot of cool stuff. I, I'm in the sand area where there's like the invisible little mirage level. Like there's some really cool and cute yeah. stuff. I definitely wish they would everything. do a like lost levels equivalent. Um, yeah. It's just like, hey, just let these designers go ham. Like just, you know, like don't worry about uh consistency or a through line just just do some weird stuff and you know maybe maybe we'll get lucky but also bowser uh, jr looks super cool in this game i know he's just like in a different palette but i was like whoa i was i was into it i'm like i'm i'm as much as i have my gripes i'm also very simple to please in some regards so i'm like oh he's he looks badass like i don't know it was cool yeah great game uh and that's why it's my number three what about you janet mine is God, now I'm, I'm doing what I gave scholarship for. My number three, right, is Alan Wake 2. Higher. Gonna have to hold it. All right. I feel like I gotta be honest. We, <laughs> ro- where, ro- how Rob is lit. Yeah. The distance Rob is at has strong Alan Wake 2 vibes. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Coffee World. Can you tell me about our Lord and Savior? I feel like world? I'm walking up to a television, like holding a to be transported somewhere. Yeah. In Alan Wake too yeah. While looking at so Bob this right is now. very like I am in the um, the cabin under the lake. But instead of writing the story, I have to take care of these dogs. Uh, MK had to run out uh, to get her hair done for the portraiture session we are doing with Mina uh, this weekend. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. That's- uh, Mina has cancer. We are, t- we are getting our portraits. No, taken. That's be- it's beautiful. It's just having to hear you say, like, even as you said, it was like a little bit of like, oh, yeah. like I, I think it's, I think it's tremendous. I could not be happier. Uh, so, but the downside of this is they're now both in my office mm-hmm. and this is not a dog playroom mm-hmm. and we've puppy proofed it as best we can and and it is pretty well puppy proofed. The issue is like I am just living in terror of them realizing they're bored out of their minds in this little office space. And so like they've got a basket of their toys, like I'm trying to pet them. Uh but just like I am I am so tuned into their their little vibes and their little ways. Uh and it's it's making for a very uh stressful uh like part, stage of this recording. Uh Kato, you're number 3. My number three, uh, AC six, Armored mm-hmm. Core. Anyone? Anyone? No. Okay. Uh, yeah, Armored Core six. Fires somewhere of the Rubicon. Ren, somewhere, Ren is screaming. Yeah. Hey, number yeah! one. <laughs> also, for the, a quick second, I thought you were talking about Assassin's Creed, and no. I was like, oh, God really? <laughs> no. What? There was an Assassin. Was there an Assassin's Creed yeah, game Mirage. this year? Yeah, Mirage, Mirage. But I don't think that's right. I don't know what number that is, but anyway, go on. Yeah. Um, It's mech time. Yeah, it's fucking mech time, y'all. Armored Core was such a great game, and I only got a third of the, uh, most of the, a third of the way through it, which I only learned later because it has one of those um, looping. Did it feel like you'd gotten further? (laughs) Well, because it has a looping structure. 
you it's got a, a multiple playthrough that actually ends up changing on subsequent pay, playthroughs uh thing going on so i only i got to the end i'm like two missions from finishing the first of the three playthroughs that usually requires to see like the true ending or whatever um but i thought i was almost all the way through it either way uh i really really love that game um i'd never really played any of the armored cores before but uh i always like admired them from afar and <laughs> i never had one of those systems at the right time uh but it it just hits on so many levels of being the like there's a reason armored core like kind of stands in as the er action mech game uh the obviously fromsoft has honed like deeply honed their level of like being able to tune combat to very specific feelings and this is kind of obviously it's at uh display on in most of their games where like you can have a variety of different builds but um on the faster end it really shines i think a lot in in uh ac6 for being both like it seemed like there was a lot of things that old old heads sickos like really enjoyed about it and i saw a lot of new people jump on for the very first time um and oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i made a sailor moon mech in that's this game. amazing yes uh when and that's one of the beautiful so things again. <laughs> yeah that's one of the beautiful things of, of about the game is that there's so many different ways to like really uh 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 engage with not just uh mechanical systems but like um role play when it's not even a role play game really right like the 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 level of customization makes it feel very uh purposeful and like you know this is going to be uh depending on kind of just like how you play games but it definitely felt like there was a lot of space for me to kind of imagine reasons for changes to not just like what loadouts i'm taking into different fights but also uh like what the color scheme of my mech is uh i had various levels of rust that started to deepen and worsen as i went on uh because there's uh, at least in like the first playthroughs uh, there was this sense of uh it's like slow corruption of of the the player character that i really dug and it's just kind of leads into that with my aesthetics which was really fun to be able to do um but also just it it like really uh they 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 walk this really fine line of having so much customization available to you and it's still feeling important what choices you make where it's not like you know there's there's some levels of customization where um it can feel like they have to balance so that everything is viable in a sense or something like that where like it it, it kind of flattens your choices in a way where it's like yeah i got the bigger gun but it doesn't always end up feeling that much different from the smaller one uh it's like a numbers difference and this they really make the changes that you make on loadout like weight of your uh ac and like uh, whether you're going ballistics or energy weapons or missiles all feel like tactically different in gameplay uh, in a way that's really cool and makes every time you make a new build just feel like, you know, like you're, you're, you've created this giant hulking monster of a machine that uh, is going to wreck some shop. And it's just like, I don't know, it feels, it always feels sick to like get into fights 
which is uh, a duel specifically with other uh, things of the same like caliber as you, which is really where the game shines. Like most of the levels um, are like about uh you know keeping clear of line of sights of uh lots of small enemies but then usually at the end like the boss battles where you're fighting something either way bigger than you or something the same size as you with the same size ones more terrifying than the big ones let me say uh <laughs> uh uh that like really uh will you know and it pushes a lot of people right like patrick you had this uh, this 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 experience that a lot of people had, which they, they they've tuned back, but the first like big boss that really like became a wall for people, Palteus, just um, the one moment where I think the build craft wanted a very specific thing out of people. If you were looking for it, um, that I. I thankfully I think they got away from for the rest of the fights where like you can have a little bit more wiggle room about how you want to attack things but for that one um there was like you know obviously you can you could beat it without the uh the the weapon that ripped through his shields but why wouldn't you want the weapon that ripped through its shields well and uh, that was one of those moments where uh I think if I you know I got awfully close to finishing it you know, in my off time mm -hmm. and then with whatever tweaks they made, my guess is I would probably rip through that fight, you yeah. know, with even my current my current setup. I really wish and I think it would have helped that sequence a lot if what you're talking about, like the if you're not familiar with the series, it's lots of games have customization. Not many games explicitly require the build craft as part of a solution to the to the problem. If you're coming at these games as like a FromSoft fan, it's like Part of the Souls games, like, hey, you pick whatever the fuck you want, man. Yeah. Like, you're well, good. Also, like, it tends to be more like you pick a lane, you stick with it, right? Uh, you're going to specialize, yeah. right? Like, uh, you might just have this hand axe, but don't worry, you upgrade that hand axe enough, you can get through yeah, all yeah. of Dark Souls with it. And and I wish that moment in the game to explain its philosophy on build crafting was like, hey, how'd we get here? Here, like, if you put these two things on your Mac, like, Look at how this fight changes for you. And I think that would have helped me understand its philosophy a little bit more, yeah. especially because even though they tweak the fight, essentially to go get that stuff is like, you want to go grind? And it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> like, that's like the opposite of what I do in video games. It's like a lot of those, like, I have, I, I hold no ill will towards that game. I knew going into it, it was not going to be for me. <laughs> and I played it and I realized it's not for me. But you know who it is for? Like all the people who they who knew it was for them, yeah. and they appear to have made exactly that style of game, and then also brought in new people because mm -hmm. just the or the orbit of influence of FromSoft is just so much bigger than it was before. So yeah. of course there's going to be uh, more folks willing to give it a shot, and then find out they're fans of it. And I frankly deeply respect the fact that they didn't make the game that I want, which is souls with max they didn't right. make that that's not what they made no. they made an armored they made core an game. armored core game and, it, and it, it's definitely i feel like they made specific decisions especially coming off of the the last time armored core was a thing which is like it's a big gap it was enough time for them to like really hone in on what they wanted the next one to be uh they've they made decisions that i think widened the the like the possible sphere of interested parties just by like certain uh, quality of life things and certain like choices in the like uh, um, 
different ways the uh, lock-on systems work, uh, which were very different in in o- the older uh, the in four, four answer, and five were all kind of very different than six. Um, and I think six is a slightly gentler game in that sense, while also still being hard as balls, <laughs> like hard as hell, like really, really. Uh, it can be really difficult, and like. There are ways to push. There's always ways, though, however, to push on the levers that the game gives you. Sometimes it does require a little bit of grinding. But one of the cool things is that I think they, the 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 smart thing that they do is that they make the one of the better money grinds are these optional one on one duels, which are I think the game at its best. Are honestly the 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 you versus a different mech, and you can really you really even from like that those fights get a sense of how like how different these individual choices really make mechs feel move and the pilot uh, in a real uh, tactile sense that I, I love. Um, yeah. AC six rules. Also, it's got a really fun, uh, like the, your handler, the ways that your handler talks to you and about you as a, as a, as a person are, just like some of the great greatest like disdain for uh the un- underling uh voice lines in in the world it's it's beautiful beautiful stuff uh they do a lot with a very little in in the in the narrative sense um as far as like your handler having like secret dealings going on they're obviously being like uh, a very strict hierarchy in this world of like mercenaries and uh big corpos trying to guess what gain <laughs> yeah, extract resources from a place where other people are trying to survive so that classic uh and it's really it's really fun my number three i think is alan wake two nope yeah i'm not I mean, sure no it is either. i mean i think it is <laughs> I, 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 kind of, I think the game the way it works you can't <laughs> no, tell rob yeah. that it's not their number three. i mean no. we're not talking about it <laughs> <laughs> uh i will say this just because like Old game got no. really into this year. Finally finished Resident Evil Two Remake. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I played the shit out of it th- this year and like liked it so much. Like you know, finished the. Um, I always get their fucking names confused because they all feel interchangeable. But it's Leon, Leon right? Claire? Claire and Leon yeah. are the two in. Yeah, R two. Yeah. Finished up Leon was immediately like, no, no, I've got this game on lock. I'm just I'm just, I'm the Terminator through, of yeah. Resident Evil straight into Claire. <laughs> and like once you really once you really have like are attuned to the weapons and like just the dynamics of combat in this game when you got to fight when you don't. Uh, it's also satisfying to do that whole like, yeah, let's re-rack. I'm going to go and just like blaze through it. Uh, what a good fucking game mm. uh, that is, you know, no, no, no new news here. But I finally did mm-hmm. just make the time to dig into it this year uh and it's just it's just tremendous like you know as with all these things like i gather you know patrick you've you've warned me uh you're having a great time in the man in the in the police station museum thing and like ooh, like it's getting the, the zombies are encroaching and it's getting tougher to navigate around in here man i just like have endless amounts of fun in here and then it's like you want to get in these ugly sewers forever yeah, it's like wasn't really feeling I needed a sewer level, but OK. And it's like you want to go in this lab and have boss yeah. fights. Mm-hmm. And no, I don't. I don't. But unfortunately, the it's, secret. It's, it's, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was just to say the secret um, Spider-Manification of Resident Evil, where it's like, and then you just keep going. It's like, you could just stay. Though, I love RE2 Remake, and I I didn't feel as strongly against the sewers, <laughs> but at the same time, like, I'm forever haunted by, like, RE7, where it's like, what an incredible game, and then there's the back half of it, and yeah. you know what? I don't, it's fine. Like, we just won't talk about it. Oh, and yeah, I just completely you know, deleted roughly the last third of RE7 from because I think RE7 is one of my favorite games ever playing it in VR one of my favorite experiences ever but that is contingent upon us not talking about the last third of the game yeah because uh, it I mean the Resident Evil games all you know well survival horror games in general tend to struggle with this problem of uh going on a little bit too long resource management getting out of hand I have sixteen. Acid, I have sixteen <laughs> acid grenades, and I will never use them before the the game is over, uh, sort of thing. But yeah, RE 2s uh, remake is is tremendous. Like a lot of that team worked on the Resident Evil Four remake uh, that is not on, I think, any of our lists. But it was still one of my favorite games that I played this year. All right, so we are on to the twos. My number two is Alan Wake Two. Nope. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Kato. Or Janet, oh, no, what's your number two? Yeah, that's no, all good. Uh, Tears of the Kingdom? The Kingdom? Yeah. Number two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh. Wait, it's your number two as well? Yeah, it is. Congratulations. Okay. Hell yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, Tears of the Kingdom. Zelda's finally getting its prey. No, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, finally a good the, Zelda game. Finally, someone to say it. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say the quiet part. I also played Minish Cap this year, and that oh. was if that game came out this year, that would have been one of my favorite games of the year yeah. as well. I mean, um, I put Final Fantasy Tactics on my list. You could do whatever you want. That's true. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I'm feeling inspired. Oh, I'm gonna Minish take Cocoon Cap off my so list good. and put Minish Cap. Yeah, it's so good. It took me forever, but it was ah, what a good video game. Yeah. But Tears of the Kingdom, I would argue, is another good video game. I mean, I think <laughs> its biggest sin is existing after Breath of the Wild, because I do think, while I feel like Tears of the Kingdom is better than Breath of the Wild in pretty much every way, it doesn't hit that, like, you know, it's like, yeah, but do you remember when we got the Switch and we were like, is Nintendo going to come back? And then we all like jumped off the Great Plateau and you landed on a horse and you're like, was it scripted? I don't know. I don't care. I'm riding off into the sunset. And oh my God, the Switch actually works. It, <laughs> yeah, it's like 3 a.m. Right. and I, I'm so happy. And now it's it's not 3 a.m. And I'm not as happy as I'd like to be. <laughs> and that's kind of the Tears of the Kingdom experience. It's like, you know, Tears of the Kingdom is an incredible game. I just am not as happy as I was when Breath of the Wild came out. You like, can't get that, that high the, again. <laughs> yes, and it's not the game's fault. Um, but, you know, all, all jokes aside, I mean, I think it's just incredible. Um, I love um, its little tutorial island setup. I think mm -hmm. it works really well with um, just kind of being a weird series of interconnected test chambers. Um, I think the fact that in what is essentially a chunky tutorial, there were already so many conversations around Oh, wait, but how did you go here? How did you end up getting this way? Oh, you yeah. did it in that order? That's not the right order. Which way is the right, you know? And you could kind of start to see, I feel like in that way, the tutorial islands were the perfect prelude to the experience of Tears of the Kingdom, which is um, a game that I think allows for exponentially more creativity than Breath of the Wild did. I think mm -hmm. the set of tools that this provides is so cool. It's so different. You can freaking 
break the game. The game is basically designed around breaking the game. They're like, what if we kept this <laughs> thing that we used as like, um, I forget the name for it, where it's like, it's like the dev version where you can like fly, you know, like kind of no clip through things. Right. Like, yeah, what yeah. if we just put that in the game? Yeah. Um, so it, it, in a way, it's funny. It has, it's like the opposite of my feelings of Mario Wonder, where it's like, it's the inverse, right? Not only is there incredible design, but there's also this ridiculous tool set that never really gets old despite being in a contained world um in a sense yeah i mean i just i love everything about this um i have not finished it i'm not even close but i played breath of the wild for like well over 100 hours i knew right away this would be a multi-years game for me so i'm like you know what i'm gonna do my you know i'm probably 20 maybe i don't think i'm 40 hours in but i did like I streamed like that whole day and then I played like a bunch after um, and I'm enjoying it a lot. I mean, even just I freaking spent forever uh, grinding for money from the freaking plushy cart mini game that's like in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. And I dropped like a, a screenshot on Twitter and I'm like, yo, y'all come through and help this plushy cart person. Yeah, they'll give you like 50 rupees or something like i don't know i'm broke as hell in this game i don't know what's going on but i'm having a blast kato yeah what was your experience with tears of the kingdom yeah i mean you know it had uh like you said like it had big uh you know what's the word what's the phrase i'm looking Expectations. for yeah there's a lot like weighing on it given that it is a sequel to what is essentially one of the best uh games that the switch has had like in its entire lifetime um, and, uh, here we are rounding the corner of like what may be the last big year of the switch. If switch two happens next year, it's looking more and more likely that that'll happen. Um, but I think it ended up being a beautiful sort of, uh, bookend on the like ways that, uh, they've been able to really push, uh, <laughs> that, that hardware to its limits. Um, but also, uh, iterate on design over the course of the Switch's lifetime where like there was so much in um in Tears of the uh, in in Breath of the Wild where it felt like player creativity ended up uh circumventing systems in the game or like pushing at systems until they broke in a certain way like you, especially obviously this is like the bread and butter of any speedrunner but still to a point where like even in my like regular casual pay- playthrough like trying like weird different shit just to see if it'll work was like how i played breath of the, breath of the wild and it feels like in tears of the kingdom they fully leaned into trying to give you give the player even more options to do that sort of experimentation. Um, you know, the moving magnesis, which used to just let you move metal things because they didn't want you to be able to toss all objects in the world into tears of the kingdoms version, which is pick up anything. It doesn't matter. You can grab whatever you want. It's a rock on the ground, pick it up, attach it to something else with some goo, see what happens. (laughs) Um, it just is a delightful way to take that, that game where, um, you know, everyone, I mean, this is, I think this is kind of a bullshit. It was, this is always kind of a bullshit complaint, but there were so many people being like, it's the same map. What are we, what are you like? How, what new game is there going to be? If it's just the same Hyrule, we already did. And obviously like, a, that's not even true. Like big, like there was a big cataclysm. Things changed in the overworld, even if like you could find certain things, but that's kind of the joy of revisiting an area. It's just like, Oh, I remember this from the first game. Now it's all fucked up in this way, or it's changed like this because people have, uh, you know, 
people have changed it and not just like the cataclysm that's going on, um, which I think is was like the, the moments when that happens uh, in that game where it chooses to make something different from the first one due to life continuing is really fun. It's really great. Uh, like it really uh, kind of interweaves with a lot of the themes on in the game about like uh, like communal growth and moving forward in the in this post-apocalyptic world that they kind of found themselves in right like it's like the cataclysm happened it's been a hundred years and like people it, it only just now feels like people are really reconnecting like in in breath of the wild it was like you had a few little towns that were not really like doing all that much and then like in tears of the kingdom i feel like some of those towns are like much more developed there's more it feels like there's more interconnectedness in the world uh through through even silly things like that one guy uh putting up uh posters for the oh yeah the president or something uh or? but the yeah putting up the 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 ads for the construction uh yeah. uh company right the, there was a construction company that basically only existed in Hateno then then they moved over to Terrytown right they make their little town and the the idea that uh it has become like Cairo has become a place where like now those people are trying to ex- expand and help other people build buildings right like we were before the point was it was so dangerous in the world because of the calamity that everyone was separated they started to really like i think smartly pull like make give this sense that uh society was starting to move in a different direction and community was being built across all of hyrule um and then you throw this like new calamity in the middle of it this new uh problem into the center of something being built and then you know I don't know, I really enjoyed the themes of just, like, Link isn't going to really do this alone. Uh, like, mm-hmm. right, the first game, like, was a little bit of, like, Link trying to, like, uh, figure out and, like, pull on, like, memories, right? Like, the, the the ghosts of the past kind of giving you new information to move forward into the future. And this one is a little bit more, like, he's got to, you got to gather the, the the crew, the gang, <laughs> right? You got to, you got to squat up and see what you can do together to move forward. Um, which I think was a fun evolution on on the kind of thematics of of the Breath of the Wilds franchise series. <laughs> yeah, I I like that analysis a lot. And I up until you mentioned it, I never really thought about the ways that this is a distinctively different community. Yeah, as opposed to like you're sort of fumbling around. And it's like oh, like you're kind of you know dealing with I think people at arm's length in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, in Breath of the Wild and in Tears of the Kingdom, it's a lot more direct and interpersonal. Um, I also think with the map too, it's like the sky, the underground. The it's underground like, it- blew my fucking mind. The fact that they hit it like in all of the fucking marketing before the game came yeah. out was like, Mwah. like it's time for the children to-, to return to the mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like they crave oh. the mine, but. Yeah, I mean that Pikmin Four was also underground. It's some point. like the, the secret's all underneath. It's all under like, the ground, people. They're like we're all trying to get you know, no, take to the skies, take to the the to earth. Mandatory <laughs> sewer level, bad. <laughs> Hid, hidden from marketing, secret underground zone. Yeah, Master secret Earth. tunnel, secret tunnel, secret tunnel. The game, like, yeah, that's super. I mean, I think too, like, oh god, it's like such an impressive um, feat of design. I think too. Mm create this world teach this world to the player which is a a world where you can kind of do anything because you can get as creative as you want 
but then still kind of having those um, rails through the little, um, I forget exactly what they're called, the little temples, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if they are called temples. They're called something else, I think. But um, and those kind of being a way to deepen your understanding of what's possible right. without them just being like, "Hey, you can put a rocket on a shield." Like by the time I got there, I had, already, I had already put a rocket on a shield. But if you hadn't done that, you learned how to do that. Right. And then there's also the additional layer of fun of it's, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is one of, and there's some exceptions to this because sometimes they do create a puzzle room where they very clearly want you to know the real solution and they sort of design to force you to do the real solution. But that's a little bit of a rarity. And when they do that, I feel like it's done very intentionally and like mm -hmm. purposefully. Um, but it's one of the few puzzle games where like, it's more fun to not solve it. Like I, I've, I'll <laughs> see the solution and I'm like, ah, they want me to put this, you know, thing on the cart. Yeah. But what if I flung myself in midair and like sort of can I create some sort over. of uh, slingshot contraption to eat this little yes. guy across the across the sky <laughs> this game is the um what is it called I mean other people do this too but I know it from Red Bull's thing like Red Bull has that derby race where they like oh, eat a bunch of yeah, so they <laughs> eat a bunch of the vehicles just sort of off and see how far they can go yeah that's Tears of the Kingdom but then <laughs> yeah. on the side of that is like a you know legitimate m campaign yeah. with quests and intrigue like there's just so much to eat here that's yes. why i'm like i'm not gonna eat all this i'm saving this i'm gonna eat all this for forever <laughs> this is i've got leftovers for at least a week yes. like if not more like, <laughs> this is like that thanksgiving danger except you won't yeah. get sick playing it later um <laughs> hopefully they poured it over or, well they're gonna sell it again on switch too if there is a switch too and yeah. i'll buy it again whatever and i'll look for the pre-order bonus maybe they give me some ugly bag that i can carry my groceries in <laughs> a um, switch two yeah. shirt <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom is <laughs> exactly. Remember when Link had that shirt? The, yeah, that's the yeah. Switch logo. Huh. Yeah. Oh my god! But Tears of the Kingdom is a fantastic game that I um, am excited to see more and more of at yeah. my own pace. Um, yeah, I, I love this game. It's incredible, and I don't know. It's a weird thing me putting in this at two because, in a way, I'm like Breath, for me, Breath of the Wild is like the greatest game of all time. Like it's the greatest game I've personally played. And I'm like, Tears of the Kingdom is better than that. <laughs> so why is this too and i can't really explain it other than like i'm doing it for the vibes of like the yeah. i don't know i don't want you to have this year i want to give it to someone else <laughs> sorry oh but you're really impressive too and so is this other game but yeah you know. i think yeah. and it's it's a, it's maybe a little rude to knock it for this but to me there is a little bit of like you had Breath of the Wild as a yes, baseline. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like it's still an impressive game on its own, but knowing where they came from, it's like this is better, but it's not like Breath of the Wild's better over like the last Zelda game before that, right? Like the leap wasn't as big between yeah. the two games, which wow. makes it feel a little Tears less the Kingdom is an accomplished trust funder. <laughs> it's yes, a Nepo baby. It is. it is a little bit. And and I think uh, I think in a year where there wasn't as much heat, it would totally get away with that because again, right. it's an incredible game. But I'm like, right. you know what? You know who's a little more interesting than you? Sorry. Like, uh, <laughs> like I don't know. Because as much as I love Tears of the Kingdom, I'd probably get to some other things first, even with that, because like there's another game that I can live in for many years. And maybe I'll, you know, eat there for a while. And hopefully the restaurant isn't shut down by the time I come back to Tears of the Kingdom. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, by the time you come back to it, maybe it'll be... Uh... Yeah, Switch 2 time. And it's like, now I can really get my Tears yeah. of the Kingdom on. <laughs> yeah, the grass will look different 
And we realized it wasn't faster. a stylistic choice, you know? It's like, mm. <laughs> like, could they have made it better if they wanted to, though? I don't think so. You know, yeah. But Switch is definitely a little dusted and busted at this age, but that's okay. Uh, So my number two, uh, just like a game like, goddamn, I just enjoyed the shit out of this game and I played a load of it. Uh, Aliens Dark Descent. Oh. Just nice. like... Now, am I, there, there's a theme here, like, mm. I love me, the derelict haunted space bullshit, like, this is a yeah. known fact, like, yeah. just gimme, like, it's, it's like, shit. here's a sci-fi setting, some bad things have happened, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, tell me more about these bad things that happened. But what's cool here is Aliens Dark Descent is not like a first person horror game or it's, it's a, it's a tactics game, it's like a real time, uh, you know, tactics game that has you in charge of a Marine fire team as you like try to both like unravel the mystery of what happened to this like alien infested colony and also get the hell out, uh, you know, preferably without, you know, having the alien outbreak follow you home. Uh, and the thing that's really impressive about it is it has so many good aliens vibes. Uh, it is, it, it really does. Like if alien isolation is the gold standard in terms of like <laughs> nailing the vibe of a movie. Right. And sorry, this is just crinkling. Cause I have to continue bribing the dogs. Um, <laughs> so, uh, just, just bear with me here while I prepare a load of treats to slowly parcel out, uh, as I hold their attention as I They're am so hopefully excited. holding our <laughs> listeners attention. All right, girls set. Anyway, <laughs> Alien Isolation, like, that isn't gonna, you know, that's the gold standard, and that is, that is a, like, that entire game is we are going to lovingly recreate down to the last, like, rivet mm -hmm. uh, the look and feel of the original Alien. Uh, Dark Descent is not doing that. The perspective is different. The emphasis is different. But it, it, it is it is trying to, like, get at what James Cameron is doing in, in Aliens. Right. And broadly succeeding, I think it's really inspired to say, actually, it doesn't make like <sighs> Alien doesn't make for a great shooter setting, right? Like the minute you put a gun in the player's hands, it's like, yeah, bring on that, that alien and you just fuck it up with automatic weapons fire. That ain't alien anymore, <laughs> right? Like that, that just if, if it's just like I will simply shoot the perfect uh the perfect killing machine uh then that's not gonna that's not gonna work as well so the decision to make a kind of tactics game and put these things into like you know i wrote a long piece about this on remapradio.com uh you know people can check it out it's a mechanical description but i'm going to reiterate some of it here because i think it, it really is nifty the meta campaign structure is like that alien just keep that, that planet keeps getting more alien infested. The longer mm. the campaign goes on, mm. if you are playing it too safe every day you burn on planet, cause each day you can send out a mission to a location. Uh, and you know, sometimes it takes multiple runs to wrap up location for reasons we'll we get to. But if you are playing too conservatively and, uh, you are not making progress, the baseline level of infestation on the planet is going to increase, which means the minute you deploy tactically, a mission begins. You are already further along the alert level in, cause it follows a, um, 
oh god, the invisible ink type thing, right? Where like the longer you are in mission and stuff is going on, uh, the more things ramp up. If the planet is more infested, that means like that baseline timer is going to be faster and like you're going to be in the shit and up to your eyeballs and aliens faster, uh, you know, in, in the mission. So you have to make good progress in the campaign or one, the, the campaign itself is time limited. And two, those deployments are going to be punishingly difficult because now like you are basically starting from max alert level and you're fighting, you know, huge hordes from the jump and you're losing, you don't have much uh, margin for error in stealth phase. The other thing they get to is uh, on those deployments, it's push your luck time. Like every time your squad fights aliens, they get more freaked out. And you can sort of recover that, but by and large, like inevitably, people are going to get more freaked out. They're also going to burn through ammo. And so what they get at is this sense of your Marines at first might really kick ass and like, destroy those aliens and it won't be a big problem but like as you're going deeper into the mission and like okay we have unlocked new territory let's backtrack and and go uh go try to achieve the next objective as you go deeper the marines are like more freaked out and the mission's mm-hmm. getting harder and the marines are getting debuffs that make them fall apart faster and they can't shoot straight because they're too panicked and so like your squad is getting less good as you go along and you start having more moments where it's like, I need to bail out on this and call it a day. Uh, and like that all fits together in a way that feels really authentic to the material uh, and gets it, get this, gets at this, I think problem that's been really difficult for designers to solve for a long time, which is how do you make the colonial Marines interesting? Is like the centerpiece of a game, right? Uh, because there are a lot of catchphrases from the movie, but like in the movie, <laughs> they're douchebags. Like with the exception of like Hicks, like they yeah. they suck at this. They're they're a depiction of the overconfident and like burned out U.S. Army uh, in the Vietnam era. Like this is this is James Cameron's like boy do we suck movie, <laughs> and a lot of people were like the Colonial Marines are awesome, and so many games have followed that lead, which is like they make perfect shooter protagonists. And actually this is far better where you are like, you're in the position of controlling them from the tactical perspective Mm -hmm. and they are frail and they will fall apart in ways that surprise you. And in ways that like begin to cascade and spiral. And it's a simple game. And I think like, it's not, you know, it could be more challenging that you can, you can crank it up, but damn, if I didn't like enjoy every minute of it, and hell yeah it was so unlike anything else i played and unlike a lot of stuff i've played in like ages right like there's no shortage of like tense eerie like monster fighting tactics games Mm -hmm. uh but this sort of package that sort of rts system that that feeling of like having real exploration not bogged down by like snapping into turn-based combat as much it i was surprised how much it it all worked and like i knew i was going to be predisposed to like the game because you know again that setting spooky space stuff yeah i love it yeah (laughs) but the thing i really didn't anticipate was like the game would be this freaking good and it wouldn't just be a situation where it's like well you know if you're a little piggy for alien 
uh, and you like tactics, then, you know, this is this is fine, I guess. Fans of the genre. And here I am at the end of it being like, that was just a great time. And, you know, I think there's like better games that came out this year, but, you know, certainly better tactics games, better, you know, probably better horror experiences. But like, this is sort of the quintessential, like, this was an awesome time at the movie theater. Yeah. Sometimes it is just like, there's not really as much of a, not that there's objective objectivity to this anyway, because it's all subjective, but it's like something about it. It doesn't necessarily need to be like the greatest thing from that year for to have it, you know, make a big impact. No. And sometimes I think the hardest thing is like to have a simple idea that you keep yeah. nailing for the length of a game and doing just enough to like freshen it up as you go that like at the end of a, you know, 25 hour campaign or something, you're still into it and you don't feel like you are just at the tail end of like a, I got to finish this and get out. And that's that game, that game avoided that, right? Like this is the, this is what it is to like really nail genre work. Um, you know, it's the formula is not complicated, but it doesn't wear itself out. And that is something that alien isolation can't say. Yeah. That second half of alien isolation. Hey, much like another game where we just pretend the back half doesn't exist. <laughs> um, when people say I love alien isolation, what they mean is, I loved the first half of Alien Isolation. <laughs> shame, shame that girl never got off that space station. <laughs> they should release. They'd never do this, but they should release games where it's like they just recut it. And it's like it's it's RE7, but it just ends up oh. to the house. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the game of the year edition actually cuts things out. <laughs> it's yes. a refining. Yeah. Like, a level designer just shows here. up in like a black box theater like video <laughs> section. And be like, so listen. We had to hit a certain hour count. We were con- kind of out of ideas. Here's why this happened. If you want, like, if you want to play the rest of this, that's fine. But like, TLDR, yeah, that's yeah. We need more. Sure, video of, video game directors cuts would be the opposite of directors cuts in yeah. films, which are like, oh, hey, look, we had, you know, in order for the way theater economics work, it's got to play a certain number of times. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, no, directors cuts of video games would be like, holy shit. We should we should really have taken out half this game. <laughs> All right, so we are on to top picks. Yeah, my uh, number one, which has been mentioned anywhere else, so I feel like I'm safe. Uh, is is Hi-Fi Rush? Uh, maybe wow. will come as no surprise. Wow, Patrick, you just keep interviewing the director of Hi-Fi Rush uh, across. Waypoint and remap. Does that perhaps say something about how you feel about it? And that 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 is true. I uh. Hive I Rush is one of the most visually astounding games I've I've ever looked at. It uh manages to combine two things that I love, like elements of a character action game with a music rhythm game. Zwan. Like Zwan. Zwan. Um I mean I, oh you know God. I I didn't want to start with that, you know. I was I was working my way uh, towards that. No, I was actually forgot about that part. But hey, that one song is really good, and that album is underrated. Um, but it's yeah, it combines so many elements of things uh, that I love. I it was just the fact that it came out of nowhere. You know, I, I think that really does play some part in why it hit me so hard. I think part of that is you know related to what I do for a living, which is I'm. Constantly thinking about games, looking ahead to games, well aware of what games are coming. And so the element of surprise, 
I think like played in high five Rush's favor um, in terms of how it's had stuck with me. Um, I also tend to, as a result of over the years, forgetting games from January, February, March have now, I think, started overweighting games from that period to try and compensate for the memory loss and the emotional loss. I, I think this, this happened to me making my list, too, where I was like, oh, that was good. And it was like it sort of hit my awareness late and it became the most the most recent thing I thought about. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I this sort of started with Celeste, which was my favorite game of the year that came out. Because I remember writing a tweet that was like, hey. Can people remind me how much I like Celeste? I'm writing it down. Remind me how much I like Celeste. And then as we got towards Game of the Year, people were linking me to that tweet. It's like, damn, I really did. You know what? I guess Celeste is the best game that I played this year. Now that <laughs> now that you remind me about it, Patrick Klepek. Um and and Hi-Fi Rush, I, I think is similar. Like the it was it's just it's just an incredible mishmash of all of my favorite things. Um and it was tremendously fun to play. I some of the Music and rhythm and action stuff kind of got lost as it got towards the end. Uh, I think sometimes the complexity, the, the combat system often actually could have been a little bit simpler so that you could have engaged with it a little bit more. But uh, I don't Everything about that game worked. I, I still think about it. I, I, it's one of the few games I've wanted to replay, which is more than I can say about 99% of games. And uh, I just had just a, a tremendous uh, time with it. Um, you know, it's one of those rare instances where, ah, uh, a game made for me um, and underwritten by Game Pass. So I don't have to worry about how it sold. Uh, it's just I know I know that it's a good game. I know that I had a great time with it. And uh, it's it's one that I, I think about uh, fondly and frequently throughout the course of uh, 2023. It's time. It's on my um, another one for the list of shit I wish I'd played more of is Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah, I have yeah. to finish this, <laughs> Big thing. But I, I like the Black Keys, so I think it's. It should be fun. I, I started it. I just haven't finished it. Yeah. Um, okay, we're on one now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going Baldur's Gate 3. Another game Woo! that um, it's so long that I'm like, it didn't matter that I didn't finish it. So yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just too long. I'm like, I'm not going to rush. What, rush 100 hours? For what? To tell you more of what I was already going to tell you? Right. We don't need to do that. Also, that. it seems like you might... The one of those games that, for as good as it already seems to be, you know, Act One clearly got the most polish because of that was the part that they worked on in early access for the better part of yeah. you know two or three years. And Act that's two been and the three. source of doubt I had about like how that, confident can I be and how much I liked it. That's because, what I'm afraid of. Yeah, so many people seem to sour on like just the way it holds together or doesn't. Uh, yeah. Later on, and I'm like. For me, the thing that is dizzying and the thing that I like put it made it like go on my list was just, yeah, but there's so many different, really compelling ways this first stage can unfold. This first, mm-hmm. this first arc. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I heard mostly complaints about it falling apart in a mechanical way, mostly, which heartened me of like end game started to break like optimization wise but not necessarily yeah it's a lot of technical stuff i don't think the yeah. i don't think the narrative actually disappoints like oh, there's I a reason that a lot of people like i've heard some narrative things yeah, yeah like having mm. real issues with some of the payoffs for the journeys like different characters go on and like and and not just like oh i not just like beyond just like oh i wanted better things for this character i don't like how their story but like just that some of the characters feels like their story gets cut off or is like kind of half-baked by the end 
Uh, so yeah, like that was the other thing is I did hear some of those complaints, but I haven't seen that stuff. Like what I saw was, was awesome. I'm real curious yeah, what happens so, with these, the, I don't my, know, my awesome gang of best friends. If I end up hating it, I'll just say, pretend I said tears of the kingdom and yeah. know, <laughs> shit, right. It's like, fuck it. Um, but for me, I don't even know if that stuff's going to affect, I mean, maybe the mechanical stuff might affect me that deeply. I don't personally look, it's a cool story. And like, I'm sure I'm going to grow to like, love the cast, whatever, whatever. I personally don't really care about that stuff as much. Um, I'm not obsessed with like romancing people or anything like that. Like I, I like the small, the tiny, tiny minuscule parts of this game is, is the thing that really impressed me and stood out um, in an incredible year of, of different titles coming out. Um, I love narrative games, big fan of narrative games. I've played a lot of narrative games and, um, immediately it was clear to me that this is like one of the if not the best choice based set of systems um everything is so interesting and it's like it's mm-hmm. just it fit it it does it does correctly so many like common complaints i end up having even from some of my favorite um titles in the narrative space where it's like yeah i mean it's cool like the writing's good but you know your choice doesn't really matter like that deep here everything matters and it doesn't matter in like the grand scheme of things which is all i ever needed i feel like when people talk about choices that matter like it doesn't need to be like oh when i turned down that apple that's why Susie didn't trust you like that sometimes that stuff feels almost like a gotcha like i was supposed to know information that i'd have no way of knowing i like that Baldur's gate 3 the choices feel weighted in really small ways and i'm sure they get weighted in big ways as well but i enjoyed the small more than the big because I, I feel like that's always the case in narrative stuff it's like yeah of course there's going to be like relationships and people will change how they feel about you and all of that but it's like you know have you ever tried to say the right thing to a rat because you want to know what's in that chest there like that's what <laughs> i care about like that's where i live um again i've said it before i'll say it again i'm a, a druid or whatever i mm. did that so i could talk to the animals the conversation i've had better conversations with random birds on the street in this game than i have with main <laughs> cast members in in good narrative games like just like it is unreal yeah. how good the writing is um how fun the little choices are i'm out here digging through the garbage and putting stupid hats on they give me i don't know a small stat boost but who really cares i just want to wear my floppy hat i can turn into an animal as well in this game so i just become a giant spider i'm putting webs down i'm lighting the webs on fire like it's <laughs> over like it's over you're stuck you're like, stuck in the fla- flammable web you're gonna be on yeah. fire <laughs> like that definitely happened too and i had to reload my save i was like oh. i'm safe coming immediately i meant your this. enemies but yeah i don't know yeah no i was like where's the area of effect here oh no nope, i was definitely standing it's there or I didn't, yeah, yes. yeah. I was like, how do I stop burning? And then, you know, but. So I think like one of the things you were saying there about like. uh, It reminds me of like my my feelings when The Witcher 3 came out where I was like, how are there this many good major side quests that are not necessarily Mm. like plot critical, but are just like some of the best like fantasy role playing like story short stories that like I've encountered. How are there this many of these in this in this campaign? And this is probably the first game that sort of hit me with that same level of like, how were there this many good exchanges in mm-hmm. this game? Also, tons of which you may not necessarily see, not because you didn't, they'll give you potions so you can talk to the animals. Like you can, you, you'll be able to chat up the animals. Don't worry about it. But like the conversations go a lot of different ways. 
Uh, there's a lot of different ways that like talking to the same people can go based on like who you are and what your abilities are and how the, how the roles break down. Yeah. Um, but if it were just like roles, I think I'd be a little like bummed cause there'd be so much FOMO about like, Oh, I, I don't like how often conversations fall apart cause of dice rolls. That's rarely that, that comes into play, but it's like genuinely, it's just like, there's so many different, uh, versions of the conversation you can end up in. And they're really well written and that's, and they're not like, again, a lot of them are not plot critical. It's just like amazing background detail. And it's astonishing. Like it's astonishing how good just the, the, the writing is across here where it feels like there's very little that is phoned in. Mm -hmm. And it's like this NPC is just there to like, you know, Bit, give you a bit of canned dialogue and, and background info for flavor uh, here. It's like, my God, how is everybody this chatty and why is being chatty with them this rewarding? Um, but if it were just that, I'd be like, yeah, like, wow, it's wild how rich the, the writing and the storytelling is. But then there's a really good fucking tactics game happening here as well <laughs> with the, with the environmental damage again, with the things the different characters can do. Uh, I was worried that having it all routed through D and D would feel confining, uh, mm -hmm. with this game. Cause like I haven't played D and D seriously in a while, but like I often feel like just in terms of narrative toolbox, D and D can kind of be a bit rote. Um, this doesn't feel that way. It, it, it feels like there's just so much that can, can happen on the battlefield. Uh, there's so many things that are interactable. There's so many things you can be like, I wonder if that would work. And it comes into play and, and it can kind of work. Mm -hmm. uh, now, does a lot how of much is that, that is involves... D&D and how much is that Larian, though? Right. I, I, saw a yeah, really, I saw a really interesting thread by Josh Sawyer, um, the uh, d director on, on Pentiment, uh, one, of, one of our favorite games from, from last year, asking what they thought of the combat system in Baldur's Gate 3. And it's worth worth checking out. It's a very nuanced explanation, but a lot of it was... Actually, I think um, it was a similar critique in Gita Jackson's review of the game for for Polygon uh, earlier this year, in which it, in the, there was, the underlying argument is, is this game fun in combat despite itself? Or rather, despite D&D? &D? And uh, like, you all seem to we'll probably have a better grasp of that, but that has been sort of a common feeling I've heard from a lot of people. Is like, well... Larian really made it work because Larian is made like knows how to make this combat right. sing. But the D&D &D part of it is actually kind of limiting. And maybe this game would have been better without it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. D&D &D 5e as a as a sort of combat rule set is very. Uh, it can sing in the right hands and oftentimes the, you don't have the right hands. It's like. A lot of people uh, combine, they don't design combat scenarios. They pick a couple monsters that you're going to fight, right? Um, and it's kind of up to the players to be like, is there something I could throw at the, like, all the, like, little edge bits that you find in this game could technically be done within the D&D system, but are not intrinsic to the D&D system. Um, that, that, as you said, is Larian being good encounter designers, within the sort of rule set that D&D provides as far as, like, moves and, like, actions and all that. Um, but, yeah, like, the whole, like, action, bonus action, uh, 
uh, economy of D&D is very strict in ways that felt less intuitive than the rest of the stuff you could do in the game, where, like, the Larian parts of just, like, getting things in the environment set up in such a way that you 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 have the moment of thinking, could I knock that over into this other thing and cause a small fire? Could I... Yeah, could I cut away or make that could I make that bridge collapse in some way? Like what how much of the environment is interactable? And oftentimes it a lot of it is, and that's because the Larian put that in there, not because DD necessarily has rules for those things, right? But it does have rules about what can you use a bonus action on? These things. Well, can I use yeah. my regular action to do two bonus actions? No. But if an action, a bonus action is like a smaller action, why can't I just do an, use my whole action point to do the bonus action things? Like, because we said so. <laughs> because we're D&D 5e and those, those are two different categories instead of being like bigger one, smaller one. You can use the bigger one on a smaller one if you want. Um, it's just like, stride in a very specific way that's like, that was where I felt the most tension, honestly, yeah. of just like, man, 5e is really, really weirdly delineated in in in, in yes. some ways in combat, you know? I I frequently felt a little bit confused about like how it was all going to hate like the 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 various ways things are classified. Yeah. Often like made me uncertain as to how a, a turn was going to be counted. Uh also I don't want to sleep on this. Great RPG, like, you know huge narrative experience you can really lose yourself in awesome co-op game yeah <laughs> like that's the other part is uh, like again and this is not new like i'm sure people are like yes this is it's a learning game man like right. welcome it's been like this for a while <laughs> i'm sure you're right uh haven't done it co-op before right. Uh, right. i did like i've been meaning to get around to the divinity games and certainly been meaning to get around for the co-op stuff but like you know those sessions we had kato yep it, they're they're amazing especially because like so good <laughs> They were total, and they were totally different from what I was playing by myself. Yeah, I was like, I played, I'm, I'm on my own campaign. Totally different. The like, conversations weren't the same. Even when I was trying to basically thread the same needles, right. I was like yeah. ending up in slightly different versions of reality. I was like, how was there this much possibility in the game? Yeah. And then playing some of these combat encounters with a buddy and just being like, hey, what do we think about this? We think yeah. this is going to work. Gonna- it's incredible. <laughs> uh, how can we? How can we? Like you know, set up a little one-two over here, um, and just like uh, kind of great in the way that they designed things to always. It's very rarely a full stop, and like the two path is one path you continue onward, the other path this kind of this this line of inquiry ends. It's more like the two paths diverge and keep going, mm-hmm. right? Like it's very smart, uh, you know. People use the term fail forward for TTRPGs, this idea where even if you fail a certain check, you want something interesting on the other side of the fail check, which is, again, a Larian decision because it, for the most part in D&D as a system, you fail a check, that's kind of it. Unless the, the, the it's up to the DM to be clever about how to present that failure. You can't unlock the door. Well, <laughs> go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there another option though? And like they yeah, they included other a lot of other options in this game in a way to like want like make you consider finding the back route, you know. And um, yeah, it was so enlightening to have played through. Uh, I played on my own like thirty hours of this game, and then to go back to the beginning and play with you in the co op session, Rob. And again, same exact like 
routes that I took basically for the most part. It's just I talked to a few different people in a, in a, in a different order and like said yes to one person versus the other and just like completely different narrative uh, uh, grew out of that uh, kind of smaller decisions at the very beginning, which was like wild to see just how, like you said, how much there is to kind of pick and chew out. And it, it makes it feel that much more alive in a way, right? There's a, there's a, there's always this fear when playing this sort of like, decision-based, uh, dialogue-based RPG, playing it a second time and seeing, seeing the code of the matrix, <laughs> seeing the, yeah. like, you know, the, the magic circle breaks away. Like you, you've seen through the facade of the game and this one at the, at least through the first act was like, Oh my God, no, like there's so much here. It feels it's like these real. are real community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels like these are real people in this community that I can talk to and like things played out super differently b- depending on my background and what sort of skills I had. And it was just like, you know, it, it, like that, that, uh, your choices matter. Like you were t- saying earlier, Janet, but in, in like a very, um, uh, All the time. organic way. Yeah. Yeah. Not um, like a yeah, checkpointy, I mean, uh, checkmarky. Like you did it, so it mattered because exactly. it's going to check mark like, down and now this way. This is something that matters, <laughs> right? It's right. like everything feels like it matters. Yeah. Um, even if it doesn't end up like having a large, I don't know, dramatic impact. But even just like playing with you know the class system or like changing you know what character talks to whoever, and it'd be like, oh well, like you know, I'm from your, you know, either class or race or whatever. So we have this shared background. So I have this option to talk to you in a way that I wouldn't otherwise, which I also think is, it's just so cool. Um, I think too, again, yeah, for me, like the devil's in the details with this game, because I'm also just really early. So like, well, I don't have, I don't have an overarching perspective admittedly, but even just stuff like I'm looking through, um, I'm slowly working on a thread of my like playthrough that I've been posting online and uh, the hat that I keep talking about that I love, this mm-hmm. stupid, it's called the old floppy hat. It's so stupid. It's just this ugly little hat <laughs> that I found <laughs> in the trash. And the description is, the item description is whacked around more often than a clown in a tragedy. How would this not be my game of the year? Excuse me? Like, every, uh-huh. like, it feels, this is a game where it feels like, and obviously, you know, this is a very, um, my comment here is going to be a very like simplified, like overly simplified, like view of development. It's not actually like development is, but it feels like literally everyone who did anything in this game had the best work day of their life. You know, it's like <laughs> everyone just tore up their assignment. Right. Like it everywhere you look, it's just like, I love like, like I, you know, I went to one of the camps and like, there was this like old aunt lady who like makes like, P- potions and lotions is what she's saying <laughs> and one of the options is to let her fuss over you i was like yeah i want to be babied in this game like you know what i mean it's just like yeah everything is so cool and so good and so enjoyable you can customize your freaking dice which it's also you know and i actually don't play dnd like i've mentioned on the show before I would like to. I'm like trying to play freaking Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion to learn, but like that process involves watching like this one guy's like 30 minute YouTube video where he explains it because it's clearer to me than reading it and trying to understand it myself. So it's like, okay, let's watch this for like seven minutes of a fun scenario because like we're we're so early that the scenario is really short. So for as like lightly clunky this can be in spots, and I definitely did sh- struggle a little bit with 
aspects of the combat. Like it took some walkthrough to really get me to understand, okay, wait, so this is what I can do. Like kind of the stuff you were referring to earlier, Kato, with like the rules. But as a D&D outsider, for me, I never read it as, oh, why is it like this? It must be D- the evil hand of, of D&D's law. And even if it is, like I don't personally feel that because any type of tactics game is going to have some type of constraints. And depending on my general frustration with the game, like those constraints might feel annoying or not, just depending on how I end up receiving them as the player. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, you're going to have some type of some type of logic and constraint to it to some degree that at some point I'll probably be like, man, if only I could do this now. Oh, well. But, you know, again, Mm -hmm. I think it does force you to into that creativity. Um, And I I don't know, I feel like using to the environment is my favorite part of tactics games. So I'm still pretty young into the tactics game genre i'm like i played mario plus rabbits and like two other games you know like uh, you know uh like it's still a newer thing for me but yeah this is just such a fantastic game it's the one that as much as i love tears of the kingdom and i want to go back and finish that as well and i will don't know how long it'll take me probably won't finish it until the night the third the next game comes out (laughs) at the last second because that's how i do it breath of the wild um but with that being said like i'm more excited to go back to this this is the game that ruined Diablo 4 for me because I was playing that with my partner and he's like, why would we play that? We could play Baldur's Gate 3. What do you, th- it, but yet we haven't played Baldur's Gate 3 together. So now we're just not playing, you know what I mean? I only lost in that trade-off, but um, I'm looking forward to the co-op campaigns as well for that. But um, yeah, also the Down by the River song. Freaking amazing song. Was singing that out the gate when I was on the character creator. Such a good song. Anyway, that's my game of the year. Hell yeah. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to preempt you, Kata, because I think we're all going to end up talking at length on yours. So I'm just going to. Yeah. So my number one here. I love me the dead space. Oh, my God. And I don't know what it says to me. It says about like uh, two remakes on the list. Oh, my God. You know, Rob loves to live in the past uh, and see the past. They're they're meaningfully different. You know what I mean? There is. I I think, you know, I think that has a lot. You know, go back and watch our our lengthy, uh, you know playthrough side by side of the the original dead not space the same and the game they're not all. the same game yeah and again in keeping with the theme of like give me derelict haunted space nonsense dead space was a great one of those and then this remake uh amps up everything i want out of that genre and delivers it so perfectly uh that it was just utterly riveting looks great there's so many deeply eerie creepy like you know i talked about this moment already but like fuck it uh still stays with me the character beating their head against the wall until they fall down dead but you just hear these like gong like bell ringing like uh the fist of god is beating on the hull of the ishimura and you turn the corner and you see in that like you know horribly bright arc lighting uh that character just like smashing their head again and again against the wall and like, yes, there are moments in the game that are, uh, you know, sometimes you got to fight a boss and you got to <laughs> aim for the weak point and zigzag out of the way. And, you know, turn like sometimes you got you just got to do that video game bullshit. And this game has that much as, you know, it's different than it was in the original. But there's, you know, those moments happen. But. By and large, uh, it's not a game where I feel like there was a ton of. Uh, we're talking about Resident Evil, 
you know, the like, oh, now we're in the sewer light. Now we're in the sewer level. Now it's like kind of the boring lab, like lab sequence with lots of boss fights. Dead Space broadly stays in that zone of like the shit I love in the first like, you know, two, three hours. I'm still getting a fix of that, you know, like eight hours, <laughs> nine hours later. Still, still well, you do a lot of those. revisiting, right? Yeah. Like it's like, oh, I'm out of the hospital four hours later. Hey, you got to go back to the hospital. And now you know, it's like, you know how bad that hospital is. You right. know right. how bad that encounter is going to be when when it pops off. And so, yeah, there's like there's so many stages like that where f- the first time through, it's like you're getting the, the lay of the land and like wonder what it went on here. And yeah, later when you're doing the revisiting, it's like, oh, you know what went on here and you know what's going to trigger when you fulfill the mission objective that brought you here. Uh, and you know how bad that fight's going to be. Uh, I also like what a good weapon selection. What a good, (laughs) what a good array of weapons. And like, even I really thought I'd broken the game completely by like, I'm just going to be running around my ripper and just cutting people down. Eventually the game was like, you can't keep doing that. You're going to have to use other weapons, but don't worry. You'll enjoy those weapons. And the decisions you make about the upgrade tree are going to like, you know, make those more interesting and exciting. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I loved it also was one of my favorite co-op, but not really co-op, but you know what I mean, Patrick, the yeah, the way we played it was, yeah. true. I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun to do. There's a reason we did it all the way through. And I just think that game, much like Resident Evil two are great examples of what, a, what a remake can do best, which is, for folks that play the original game and folks that didn't to understand what was special about what this game did in the first place without pretending that history doesn't exist, right? Like dead space, you can still go play it and download it on steam. We played those games side by side. The original game is still good. It is still great. Um, But it's just, a di- it's just different. It's just, it's been a long time since that game came out. It hits differently. But that's the the thing. It hits it hits differently, and I think part of what's so tremendous about that update is it's deeply respectful of what came before, in honoring it and also updating it in a way that like allowed me to appreciate both. Because I played all the way through the remake, and then played all the way through the original, and enjoyed them for different reasons. Even though you know they're working with a lot of the same raw material. And I think it's just like, those are two of the best examples. I'm not surprised that you enjoyed both of those games because they're two of the best examples we have today of games, taking a game from the past and, and updating it in ways that just feel, they feel very loving. They don't, obviously it's all about and some level, like making money for shareholders, but they feel both those remakes came. They feel like they came from a place of love and deep understanding of the original works which is not always the case of what you get for updates in whatever form they take. Um, this is just also our dead space section, correct? Mm-hmm. We're just all in. Okay, cool. It was, God, there's something outside and it's so loud. Um, <laughs> this is my number four. Um, I love this game. I never played the original. I uh, just jumped in here. I, you know, I played, I don't know, the closest to the original I played was that one hour I played a close up protocol. But so I picked this up. I'm like, all right, cool. It's supposed to be like this, you know, classic incredible hit and i i loved every second of this game uh it i go back and forth what's the most fun i've had this year and this is really up there for me because i think 
kind of Rob, to your point, there's so many um, different weapons, but there's also just so many different tools and ways to play um, as much as like, I, you know, love the hell out of a game like tears of the kingdom that very explicitly is designed around creativity. I also love a game with a solid enough tool set that you can still get creative with it, which almost feels like you're getting away with something when you do things in this game, picking up, you know, fan blades that fell and then like launching them at people, picking up parts of enemies that you cut off that are explosive and then throwing those down hallways. And as things get tighter, like realizing that like, man, you're not going to have enough of your S tier weapons ammo to get through this unless you start doing more of the environmental stuff. Like you're going to like for a while, they're not going to make you launch that like, you know, piece of piping through (laughs) someone's face. But man, this game's going to get a lot easier. If one of your first reflexes starts being like, I wonder if there's a piece of piping I could launch through someone's face. Cause that would really, that would really make this next stage easier. Yeah. There's just there. And there's so much like, newness that goes on throughout like a playthrough of this uh, especially again like me playing it for the first time ever like not knowing what to expect like the first time like I'm kind of scrolling through like old clips I had posted online of my time and the first time you encounter one of those enemies that moves ridiculously fast I was like it's just over for me like I'm just down the hallway like there's you know um and I like that it plays with those things um even like hours and hours in um yeah there's just like a lot of it's a it's definitely a dark and scary game, but there's a lot of fun to be had. There's a lot of I, I love a survival horror that leaves space for inadvertent comedy. Um, you know, things like me going down a hallway and not realizing that, you know, a giant flame cannon is there and then that that burns me alive and I got to run that back. Um, but as far as the horror aspect of it, um, again, going back to sound design, I think this has the this was my sound design of the year. I think obviously uh, we tend to give sound design flowers to horror games because so much of the experience of being afraid is contingent on sound. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also just because I think the, by way of genre, there's a little bit more room, I think for playfulness in sound um, with the horror genre, but it is, you know, there was a scene that sticks in my mind super heavily and it's like walking into a room where there's like plants being watered and the sound of them being watered is this guttural shriek that is like the scariest thing I've encountered this year. I think the only thing competitive is like Alan Wake when you go through that little train and people are screaming in that. But like what was cool about this is like I got scared in this horror game the way I get scared in real life, which is I hear something and it sounds scary, but actually it's not scary at all. But then the game also has scary shit in it. So it's like this really interesting layer of horror kind of mashed together where everywhere you turn, you don't want to turn because you just don't you just you know what nothing's safe even well, like a freaking vending machine could scare me on the ship well in the original game like yes the ishimura is like this look a lot of things break down into blurry ass textures that are ugly as hell in the original game that's something that comes through but like the ishimura is kind of this like rusty industrial hellhole which that sounds like the same thing you encounter in dead space but like to your point i think it is meaningfully like the ishimura feels so much more like an actual industrial like salvage ship that you might find yourself on, but everything about it, even its normal functions are just like, kind of like haunted and awful. Yeah. I remember like the, the sound of like the hydroponics lab. Like it's, this is, this is how it sounds. This is what it sounds like when the ship is like taking care of like the, the plants that, that it grows aboard it. It just, the issue more is the sort of place where everything that happens that's supposed to happen 
is still happening in this like deeply fucked up way. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's, that, that comes through so much of the sound design. Um, yeah, I, God, I love it. There's also a lot of burgers on the ship for some reason, which I thought was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so so we arrive. Yeah. Number one, baby, Alan Wake (laughs) 2. A game that none of us have finished? Or is just, no, just kidding. I kind of finished it. I, finished I didn't it. finish it. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Kato, you're it's one of the just recently, right? Uh, yeah, like two nights ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Congratulations. Okay. I was... Huh? Congratulations. Thank you. In finishing Thank the you. game. Thank you. Doesn't have. It's, it's one of the few on this list, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, Alan Wake Two is a spectacular game. I think that it does so many interesting things uh mechanically and structurally that uh loop back into the narrative like it it's it's a silly thing to be like the narrative and and mechanics are uh 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 you know um intertwined, intertwined in such a like beautiful way but it's like to a to a degree here because of the way that the game is uh, metatextual, it feels like, uh, like every part of it kind of pushes its narrative forward uh, in a way. Like there's, it, it's there's things that at first felt a little like, oh, this is kind of neat, but like, um, you're like I see what they're doing here with like, for example, like early mind place stuff with uh, Saga on Saga's side, just, like, doing the clues stuff. Um, but it ends up actually, like, creating a sense of character uh, in a way that I think a lot of other... Like, just having the character think the thoughts in, like, a cutscene don't hit doesn't hit the same way i guess than like the the case board over the period of the whole game and like there's ways that the case board kind of comes back up in slightly different ways than like you're introduced to it um on alan's side the the like mechanic of you know uh i guess slight spoilers if you haven't played the game but the mechanic of like changing the environment through his writing and like making that literal in the game this time as instead of it being just like a, a narrative wrapping, like it wasn't in, in one, uh, like just it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like only a video game could do this in this particular way of having you put your finger on, uh, and make these, uh, changes to reality that feel so dreamlike, right? Like there's something difficult to like, uh, put someone in, I feel like a dream space and have it parse that way uh, and not be too confusing. Like it's like they, they have a really, they've, they've towed a real fine line with the like ways that, uh, especially in the Allen sections, space is strange. Like none of it makes sense. And it feels like there's just, there's doing a lot of tricks, like very clever tricks to make, uh, to make the dream logic just like really uh, kind of stretch and mold, uh, 
in in a way like I guess like I said it's like a, a game like games can only do it's like a video game as video game in the ways that it pulls on what games can do uh even though even even when it's not even though I think if you look at it as a whole you wouldn't describe it as a video game as video game right it's not a fast-paced shooter it's a not even no in fact amazing. alan should run faster alan <laughs> no. you're being chased by the dark presence hurry your ass up he's pacing himself yeah yeah he's he's old he's been he's been sitting down for like what 13 years like um god there's like i want to there's so much in the in it's so dense there's so much in this game even though it's only like I mean, only, I say only, because, like, I played fucking Baldur's Gate for 30 hours and got, like, maybe, like, less than a third of the way through. But it's a 30-hour game kind of front to back. And I'm immediately ready to go again for spoiler reasons. <laughs> um, I, like, if... If anyone wanted to be a sicko with me and after we're uh, everyone's back in town, but before we're technically back, or maybe just in the new year, wanted to do a spoiler cast of this, I'd be so fucking ready. Like, yeah, no, the, I'm, I'm sure Rob and I will. Hat because... I'm sure Rob and I will finish it like over the, the holiday. I, yeah, I, I, I endeavored to play as much as I could in the last couple of days, which is why I felt confident putting it at number two. Yeah. Despite not finishing. I was like, okay, you know, I've, I played two thirds of the game, right? I mean, I'm in the, yeah. you know, the, the last third of the game, I made it up to the Synthony Weaver boss fight, which I haven't started yet, but I know is one of the most intense sequences in the game. Yeah. And I, I had a thought of playing it last night and was like, I'm tired. I need to give myself a break. I've been playing, you know, 15 hours of this game in the last couple of days. Yeah. I, need yeah. to, I need to stop. But I think one of the most remarkable things about, Alan Wake 2 is, uh, you know, the there are many sequences that I've sort of like pecked up on over the last two months of like, oh, my God, like can't wait till you get to that moment, including one where I was explicitly told to hide <laughs> under my desk during the Game don't Awards look, don't look. <laughs> so that I wouldn't have a sequence kind of spoiled for me. And I think it's a real testament to what is in that game that in the ensuing, you know, uh, almost two months since it came out, you know, it's clear that like Alan Wake 2 is going to be like a classic for a lot of people. Um, it is, it is going to be an all time favorite game for a lot of people. It has the kind of hyperbole attached to it that is rare. Also, that can make it difficult to come to a game once that hyperbole has has set in. Or I guess hyperbole sounds like I'm saying it doesn't meet that moment. I think what I'm saying is it can feel like hyperbole right. and what is remarkable about having played a lot, a huge chunk of the game in the past couple of days is that it's not like the game <laughs> meets that moment. Yeah. Despite everything I have heard about it, despite the fact that my, the bar of expectations were raised so remarkably um, by the time I actually got to something like the we sing moment to, 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 to remain a little bit vague on, on what happens there for folks who haven't gotten to it yet. Um, it's a really remarkable and but like there's so many things that are interesting about it. Like mm. for folks that come to it now, like for folks that come to it without any sense of the legacy of FMV and its history with video games, I think you could fully enjoy Alan Wake too, uh, without like the weight of FMV's histories on your shoulders. Mm. But 
If you do, like me, have lived through the 90s, lived through the CD-ROM era, lived through FMV becoming only part of video games because shit, like they got bigger file sizes. We can record people and put like mm. it was a technology trick. Right. Um, and here, you know, when it was in Max Payne, it was, it, you know, it was it was kitschy. You know, it was part of like Remedy's like aesthetic. And here, like it's not kitschy. It feels like holistic in yeah. how they're expressing themselves uh, in a way that I think allows people that have no sense of history with FMV to appreciate. Like oftentimes when people say like, oh, there's a new FMV game out. Time to watch Vinnie Caravella play it. You know what I mean? Is poking fun at a genre. Like it's a weight of of of, an, uh, of a relic. Mm-hmm. Um and and not necessarily appreciating it on its own terms. And I think what's really remarkable, Alan Wake 2, is how it incorporates different mediums of storytelling in a way that doesn't feel like time for the FMV section. You know what I mean? Like, because that's what Remedy does. Right. Uh, it actually just feels like they're using different modes of storytelling to accomplish a singular goal in a way that is just remarkably hard to pull off. And I haven't seen the conclusion, but I have every confidence that they're going to nail it. It's it's a lot and it's amazing. Like it, I think holistic is a really great word, honestly, of just like because there are so many disparate parts to it, right? Like it it they they kind of made two, they 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 laid a base a, a base groundwork with uh kind of the like here's how characters move in this world, but then they made two different mechanics for like what the actual characters uh, are are doing in their respective like sections, right? Like. The case board and versus the uh and like exploring space versus the uh the 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 plot board and uh changing space and it's like almost not quite but almost two different games <laughs> going on in parallel um but still feel fully tied in uh like still feel so well considered and intertwined to become this one holistic thing that it almost doesn't surprise me that like they also pull it off with every time they 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 use uh photography and film yes. as as art piece like every time it's brought up like there's so many there's details in this thing about how like i you know have i i had a minor in photography in at, in my bachelor's and um even though it was it was it was fake. It was a. It was actually a bachelor's in photography, and, and the minor didn't matter. But like, uh, <laughs> um, I I went to a fake. I mean, art school is all fake. But I went to a school where it's like design your own program, and I took eighty percent photo photo classes and like twenty percent like drawing classes, and it was still not technically a photo major. I was a general fine arts major with a f- photography minor, and I was like, is, is it a minor when it's like eighty percent of my classes? <laughs> Anyways, like. The there are things that you don't need to know about photography to enjoy, like the, the, the when it gets brought up. But knowing things about photography, there's such an amazing uh, uh, attention to the details of how um, how images are made in in the game that tie into the narrative. And I'm like, wow, like there's probably things I'm missing about the film sections of this game that like someone who's done film studies would understand more than me. Right. And it really gets at the like idea of arts and disciplines kind of all coming together and like having their own histories. And all of that kind of becomes intertwined in how remedy has decided to tell this story. And it's like, it's kind of spectacular that it all works even without the prior knowledge. Right. Like it's still like, 
has this amazing kind of creative thrust to it that I feel like it feels like the most collaborative thing in games almost it's similar to the thing you were saying earlier about everyone who was on Baldur's Gate 3 like like got their assignment and hit it out of the park Janet like you were saying earlier this is like there's obviously so many different uh people working on this game that have different uh strengths that have been uh that have worked in like perfect collaboration to make something wholly uh different and new and exciting as as a as a group rather than the like you know we often get bogged down by auteur theory in this in 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 this uh in this industry like the Hideo Kojimas and the Shigeru Miyamoto's of the world and like the like idea that there's one person who like obviously Sam Lake is a huge figure in this game but even the narrative in the game like tries to like take that down a peg in a, in a way of like look all most all art is collaborative in some way or another and that that's important to the game and it's also important to how that game was made right like you can feel the 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 hands of a large group of people all like re, like firing on all cylinders uh on this all over this game through all of its different ways that it talks about art and it's amazing i mean i fucking yeah Game, game so, of the year for me here, for sure. You know, when Patrick's talking about, like, FMV kind of, like, falling in the kitsch, I think the weird thing is, like, there are a lot of great FMV games made. It became associated with kitsch, but there's nothing inherently, like, I think it getting sort of bad, kitschy rap kept us from doing a lot of interesting things with FMV. And I think one of the great things about Alan Wake 2 in particular is this notion of, like, all games are multidisciplinary mm-hmm. uh, from a creative standpoint but this leans into that by being about different forms and using using them to sort of tie everything together so you get the yeah photography like you basically go through like photography installation exhibits here you can do that in the game why don't you why don't you have more things laid out like an, inst- an installation uh you could do it we just don't do it that often right um an entire like, sequence of the game basically takes place at like, what if sleep no more killed people? <laughs> and like, and like, know, I'm always asking. Or like the segment that uh, we had told Patrick about, like, again, not to get too specific about it, but the way it's presented is particularly uh, interesting. As like, I think we can stop talking. Like, I will just say this: yeah. we've seen a lot of like big remedy musical number sequences, and you think like, okay, Alan Wake's gonna have another one of those, uh-huh. and it does. We've seen you know the Ashtray Maze, the old guy, the Rock Show, and Alan Wake one, and that's what I was fully prepared for. <laughs> Not prepared for what we got. Yeah. Like it was a oh, they found a different gear and a different way to approach this that was like new and interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that newness is really what has Alan Wake so high on my list. I have it at number three, um, even though I still also have not finished it. But I feel like as much as I have maybe some light gripes about certain mechanical aspects, I think the novelty, and I think a lot of times novelty gets thrown around as a pejorative, like, oh, it's different, but it's not necessarily good, or it's almost implied as like, that's that's the end-all be-all. I think it has that nice mix of novelty, but also execution. I think there are... It's an interesting game in that so many aspects of it feel 
almost overly familiar familiar in like the survival horror element of it uh you know the resident evil of it all even like that section of um again i'm only like a third ish through maybe maybe even less i don't know uh but where it's like oh you're finding parts for like the float like that feels very you know resident evil putting a contraption together <laughs> and i think my biggest gripes are things like that aren't as interesting to uncover because they're like it's on this piece of paper. It's like, okay, this is like, you know, it's not Vemba's puzzle. His puzzles were easy. Like, this is just like the answer is on a sheet of paper. But all that I aside. Feel like I feel like that's a genre trope that they're adhering to. I, I find that stuff all profoundly charming. And they actually do their own versions of it, right? Like the, um, like every time you look, if you start searching for the different uh, cult stashes where yeah. like about halfway through the game, you get a, a map that then just tags them everywhere and you then they're pretty easy to clean up you know like one's a a matching game one literally has you solving algebra which i refuse to do until someone in the chat just gave me the solution i was i'm not fucking doing math like get (laughs) fucked i left high school for a reason um and uh yeah this is this is this is the cult this this is the cult answers for the one in watery near the god speed kato could not be me they invented iphones and i said goodbye to numbers um same with maps uh but i i think some of that stuff is is like kind of genre adherence and them finding a a twist on it i mean i'm similar to you i've i've gripes like in all of the allen sections I guess I'm going to like put this flashlight on this shadow and see if it's an actual enemy or not. Like that loses its charm or interest like real fast, but there's a whole lot of it. Um, But uh, it's just the the way the presentation marries with the gameplay is I think, frankly, the best expression that Remedy has had at what they've been trying to do, starting with Max Payne. Um, They have been trying to do a version of this for a long time and to great success. But I think often like we view, we call it the remedy aesthetic for a reason, because like a lot of times what's standing out is the storytelling, like the aesthetic, like certain, certain mm. approaches that, that are standing out above the gameplay. And I think here, this game is just a really beautiful marriage of all of those things. It helps, it helps all the other parts sing in a way that I do not think has been present until this game specifically. I think too, so, like, Go ahead. Go for it. Okay. I was just going to say, like, with the um, the aspects that are a little bit overly familiar, it makes for a nice contrast to, like, there's not too much of any one thing where it's like, okay, like, I'm here, I'm solving stuff, I know the vibes, the, and the vibes are fun. Like, as easy as the little, like, chess are, I'm like, ooh, and then they didn't think I'd see that too on the tree, but, like... I Hell saw yeah. it and it's like, uh, you know, sure. Right. And it's, it's still enjoyable to do, but then that's also contrasted with, there are times where I really don't know what to expect and what I see next is not anything I could have imagined. Um, I think too, like it plays with sort of in lieu of inherent difficulty, even if there are like sections that are maybe challenging later on, it's like, there's a so boss ish encounter that, has like a puzzle aspect to it and when like approaching it it kind of has like this time warp loop situation that like i found so eerie and unsettling and fascinating and fun and i think there's so many moments like that in this game that that is why it ends up ranking so highly for me despite there being like gripes in certain places i just think the sum of its parts is so fresh and fun and i don't know what's gonna be for me in that back half but i'm really excited to get to it and i hear that there are 
that it, some that scary gets shit. So I'm Janet, some scary yeah. shit. Is I'm, what I'm I'll a tell little you, scared. Is waiting for you in the <laughs> in the back half. So um, I just here's my big gripe though. I just wish I liked this game, like the the game, the parts I'm playing, yeah. controlling the characters, the combat. I wish I liked any of that like more, uh, mm-hmm. like the, at all. The like third person shooting specifically, or just like moving around the world. Just this is the problem. Like coming after like. In terms of gameplay, like name a remedy game, I would probably rather play that one in terms of like the action that ah. that like I'm going through, like mm. including maybe Alan Wake one. Uh, wow. But like you know, you at, coming after control, it's like wow, these characters are just dipped in cement, uh, and that's partly you know obviously they're meant to be more human, more grounded. They're you know you're not you're not Jesse Faden turning into Superwoman, but at the same time like man these characters are kind of kludgy uh like the fighting a lot of the monsters is not terribly interesting or exciting uh for me and in a lot of places like there's a crossbow that i don't even like it's very rare that i find a crossbow i don't the crossbow's rough i'm not gonna lie the crossbow's so good (laughs) once you do the once you do the upgrade where the crossbow can notch and like when you nail a wolf coming at you, you have to have the the spine, like a steel spine, to wait for that fucker to come through and click, wham, and just. Mm. We'll see. I haven't upgraded yet. I don't think. But yeah. there's that thing where when I don't like it, like why would I upgrade it? You know what I mean? It's like that weird. Like why don't I upgrade something I like? Though it's but a high I, risk, I high reward weapon that I I. But I love crossbows in games. Like and mm-hmm. and so I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this one. And with a, I mean, I'm with you, Rob. I I, I it's it's. But I do think I don't. I mean, I, I have a real soft spot for this type, these types of games, and so for to have a game this go, go this hard in the horror direction that also is trying is so experimental in the storytelling direction, which is very rare. It's part of the reason like yeah. Silent Hill is so revered, right? Is because it had like well that part gets the gameplay part wrong. Silent Hill is garbage to play, and it's got really incredible storytelling and environmental design. And here, like you know, you you have some really experimental storytelling also happening in a game that's trying to scare the shit out of you which is yeah. just kind kind of rare for this type of game the house stands i think in terms mm-hmm. of like the the action stuff i think remedy's background is as an action studio this one they they don't bring it off as, as much and partly that's by choice um right. but i think if it were not integrated so well in one tons of remedy fan service that i'm 100 percent here for and it'd be churlish to be like <laughs> turning my nose up at it uh but two the fact that like it does set the stage for a lot of these incredible moments, like the, yeah. the pacing, the way you, the, the way the game unfolds itself does make it the sort of game that is also easier to lay out these set pieces that really stick with you. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious. Like, I, this could move down my list mm. as I as I completed mm. or it could move up it. That's kind of where I hedged at three. Um, Are you playing but, it on console or PC? Uh, PC. Are you playing with mouse and keyboard or uh, controller? Con- uh, controller. OK, if. I've heard people who have trouble with con- have trouble with controller. The 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 extra precision from a mouse kind of smooths over the issues at that point. Yeah. But um, I will say I I've I've it's 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 interesting. I f- I feel like I had um I had some trouble kind of getting into the groove with the game at first, but there's more i feel like there's more space than you realize there is to uh kind of line up your shots uh 
and then it goes bad when you when you don't when you take too long on that first volley and then you yeah. get kind of crowd crowded in a, into a corner but i feel like i really started gelling uh like a third into the game of just like oh i understand that the like rhythm of it is a little bit it's actually a little you want them a little to get a little closer than you than you think cuz you're yeah. just so much less likely to miss uh it's the, a fire to the white the bloom their eyes is, type game yeah the bloom yeah. is real real harsh at longer ranges where you're like, I should be shooting. It's like half of your pistol bullets are going off over the shoulder. Uh, It's really like, let them get super close and go bop, bop, bop right in the head. And like those three will take it out. Um, But it makes it more terrifying because you have to let them get close. And if you miss at that point, it's a try to dodge, but probably don't. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It it, it definitely, I see, I see a a lot though, where it like that, um, it doesn't always it doesn't always click or like it even it you get into scenarios where you're like I'm trapped in a corner and like it feels like there's no way out um uh but there's a uh yeah there's a lot a lot to recommend about its its kind of overall narrative structure and and story and uh production values and uh yeah absolutely Number one with a bullet, <laughs> or maybe a crossbow bolt. I don't know. We'll the game's so good, it gave us the only good vibes moment of the game awards. Yeah. Oh mm. my wow. god. Yeah. Did you That's you, actually put it on the back of the box? Have you gone to see it, Patrick? Did you watch the video yet? <laughs> I've not. I'm. I'm oh, saying I'll probably watch it after I finish the game. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I'm looking. It's very looking good. To doing nice. It. So. All right. So, uh, speaking of people being trapped. Uh, I am I'm low on dog treats here, and I think we're low on time. Uh, so that is a game of the year list. I'm going to stand up, and hopefully the dogs will let me read the outro here. Um, <laughs> Do you want to just record it separately, Rob? Hey, you maybe can just add it in later. Fix it in post. Yeah, fix it in post. Yeah, you know what? That's but, a, that's a great idea. Uh, but you know, I think the last thing we'd express here is you know, uh, like it's been quite a year for all of us, like getting to be able to be at this moment where we're even doing game of the year podcasts is not something that I felt like was assured in late May. (laughs) And that even as June went along. Um, And so to be where we're at, where we're doing this, like continuing the project under a new name, a new banner, getting to work with new collaborators like Carly, like Janet has been uh, really fantastic. And it doesn't happen without any, all the people that have backed us to, to this moment. And so, you know, uh, also a great thank you to everyone who has listened and supported us throughout the year, because uh, it's, I'm remarkably humbled uh, to, to be at this moment and honored to, to carry it forward. And I, I deeply appreciate every single one that listens and supports or rates and reviews on iTunes. Exactly. Or barks into the microphone. And look, the, how do we justify paying Kato? Like it's because those barks, like, like it's like, we got like, here we <laughs> oh go. Like Mina get in there. Um, but like, it's just been like from, you know, from the, the bottom of my heart, Rob's heart, Kato's heart, like, thank you so much for all of your support this year. And hopefully doing, doing all this uh, will, will be something for, for many years to come. 
so at time of recording, I'm not sure what the two mellow track is that you're going to be hearing uh, at the start and end of the episode. But either way, you can check out his work on twomellow.net. You can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there, as well as reading our respective Game of the Year lists and a few Game of the Year lists from uh, some of our friends. This week, Patreon subscribers got to hear Patrick and I discussing furniture selection uh, and read some listener lessons on uh, HOA, our podcast about, let's be real, advancing middle age and feathering one's nest when one just can't go get a different nest and you have to make the best of it. We'll be back next week with a new year of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for all your support during what was a challenging and uncertain year for us and letting us build something we love to work on. Not every audience gives creators as many opportunities for expression and exploration as uh, y'all let us have, and we appreciate it every day. Until next year, we hope you're having a good holiday season, whatever you celebrate, or even if you just like to enjoy the relative peace and quiet that ensues when everyone else is taking their holidays. If this is a difficult time of year for you, always, or just because of particular circumstances this year, we wish you peace and assure you, We've all been there to some extent, and we're all going to be there again. Uh, We'll see you again in 2024 for what we hope will be a joyous, safe, and prosperous, uh, in all the best senses of the word, New Year. Insert Rob's outro. Well, that was, that was basically it. <laughs> you kind of did. Gotta the leave outro, that. Yeah. You gotta leave that part. <laughs> yeah. Leave that part in. <laughs>